So this is the Advanced After Combat podcast. This is a podcast uh, about wargaming brought to you by myself, Dave, my bromance partner, Jason. Hello. And a guest host who is selected from our guild on BGG, you know, every one one or two months. (laughs) Ish. And our guest host for this particular time is Francisco. Welcome. Hey, everyone. Now, Night Stalker is, is a code name. Is that like, uh, where, where's that from? Oh, that's just from that old, uh, uh, you know, ColecoVision and Television, Atari, that, that era. Sure. Yeah, that's where it comes from. I used to play the shit out of that game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little man against ro- killer robots, very Terminator-ish uh, with ridiculous little graphics. Uh, I had the best time as a kid with that thing. And so I used that as my handle on discord and i used it uh, i'm using it here and um yeah generally wherever i can use it i do that yeah i didn't want to i didn't want to out you to where now there's suddenly a connection between your 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 normie name and your uh, internet name but you know. we do like to respect an anonymity right exactly <laughs> not a problem not an issue at all <laughs> so i don't know if you guys knew this i don't know how you would i just recently found it out um do you know that robin i think it's i want to remember if i got this but you know you know robinette yeah jim his uncle i guess designed adventure the atari game oh wow isn't that incredible like I that just, is, yeah even Holy more crap. incredible is we thought that was a good game when i was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh heck yeah i remember that did you guys see the robot chicken uh, episode that kind of like did this whole like uh, sequence with the adventure stuff and with this whole fantastic background music that was like Lord of the Rings stars like adventure, adventure <laughs> with the silly graphics. It was awesome. It was- I mean, you look back at some of the games that we thought were fucking incredible, like Pitfall, I thought was cool. Sure. It was so stupid. <laughs> so Kung mad. Fu on the Atari. But adventure was almost like, wasn't it like a pixel? Your guy was just like a pixel running around, and there was a dragon, and you could get like it. It, it was ridiculous the way you had to play the game. It wasn't like a, a real game. I think. I'm sure, my kids would hate it if they played. Oh it. yeah, oh yeah, it was it's super glitchy too. Sometimes you'd like, I don't know, you'd like teleport between the walls because it's oh, a yeah, bad you glitch. Get yeah, you get trapped. <laughs> you're like, fuck! I have to start all over again. Damn it. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah. I just had found that out. Um, Probably because Robinette was bragging about it or something, but uh, um, <laughs> he, he does seem like a braggart. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we we want to hear a little bit of a, a background story and an origin story. Um, I know uh, I've heard some funny things uh, in, involving you in the past, and I'm curious about. And uh, 
like recently for a while we you weren't as involved in the guild but you've had kind of a resurgence where we're starting to see you be a lot more active so uh, we'd love to hear more about that too all right okay good thing this thing doesn't have an actual stop time uh, we've been, exactly. we've been yeah. for a long haul. <laughs> or, or in an audience we also don't have an audience so <laughs> exactly <laughs> so so feel comfortable just lay down on the couch uh, sure thing get comfortable that's right Excellent. Well, so no, in, awesome. in the order, like uh, origin story as a youngster playing games. Oh, first of all, uh, what are you drinking? Martini. Nice. Nice. Classy. Jeez. Gin? Gin. Gin. Okay. Only way to go. I know. But I got to ask, right? Yeah, they I know. Do, they do do them. It makes, makes me angry. I have a place down the street from me <laughs> now doing uh, $8 gin martinis. Excellent. Very happy. Nice. Wow. For happy nice. hours. Excellent. Happy, happy hour drinks. And the bartender got in a huge fight with our bartender. It's a speakeasy. She started crying as she was talking to us. So she slowly started upgrading my happy hour martinis because we were such a good audience <laughs> for our and we were getting Isn't it supposed to be the other way around we were getting hendrix yeah. for eight bucks by the end of it <laughs> but it was bad because i really i was trying to be good i'd convinced monica to go to this happy hour place and i was like it's gonna be really cool she's like okay like i know how this goes like we go for happy hour then you get home and then you then then it turns into like you know like streetcar named desire like in the middle of our house you know we don't need this and uh, and i was like no it's good but i couldn't help it because in the, she's monica is such a frugal good shopper that even she was like yeah you should get might as well get another one might as well get a third get the third the third martini that's the rubicon that's right? a good one yep that's like okay we've gone from being a a a fancy, sophisticated top hat drinker. To now, we're getting into some trailer park drinking. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah, two, two is like you know, just taking the edge off. Three, well, the, it, it starts to get serious. Well, that's the businessman's quote. They're they're like breasts. One right. isn't enough, and three is too many. Yeah, that's basically the deal. <laughs> I heard that one. So, uh, Jason, what do you got going on? What's going on? Um, some Cote d'Arone red wine. Okay, very good. Yeah, I, I brought it back from France in my suitcase because I bought it for dinner one night and we didn't end up opening it. And I was like, I'm not going to throw this $6 bottle of wine away. So <laughs> packed it, rolled it in a pair of pants and brought it home. Nice. Excellent. Uh, I'm drinking Miller Lite Tall Boys. So nice. Doing a Marshall callback. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Do you have the whole case sitting with you? Well, I got a twelve pack. I mean, okay. it's my house. I'm in my house, so there's there's unlimited reserves. Close enough. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't think All right. So origin story. What do we got? Okay. Uh, all right. I've I've been playing since I was like what maybe six seven ish. All right. So because it's really my dad, right? Um, my dad and I um, we're not that far apart in terms of age as you would normally expect. You know, people have kids in like their late 20s, 30s, whatever. No, right. my, my dad got that out of the way in a hurry, you know, 18 years old, boom, kid. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, that's about where you want to be. No lower than that, I think. that's. The... Yeah, definitely no lower than that. Anyway, um, he and his like college buddy got into the whole gaming thing and so my dad basically had this very tiny collection of uh avalon hill titles four of them he had uh civilization he had um source of the nile uh he also had status pro baseball because they were baseball nuts okay and he had freedom of the galaxy 
And so, wow. Yes. And um, for me, basically, you know, at one point I raided his closet, like, oh my God, these things look so cool. And then I started opening them up and then I started like going through them. And then I pastored my dad about it. He's like, yeah, sure. And so um, the easiest game to get into was the baseball one. And we played that thing to utter disintegration. Okay. Yeah. What season? Uh, the 1980 season, because okay. that was the one the Phillies won their first World Series. Right. And, you know, my dad and I were both Phillies fans. And, and was that's that, how was, that was that Phillies Royals? That was, was that, yeah, was that was Phillies, Phillies Royals. Royals. George yeah, Brett, Royals. all those guys. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Schmidt versus George Brett. That was like the, the, the competition between like the best third baseman of their generation kind of deal. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, so... So we had that going on. And then we were like, oh, Freedom of the Galaxy. It's like Star Wars, the war game, you know, that kind of a deal. And I kept pestering him to play that with me. But, you know, he kept, like, putting me off and stuff and whatever. You know, it's a big, complicated game to play. And then he came up with this idea. Oh, but why don't we make a, like, a computer program out of it? And that's kind of how our father son nights became. Not, not playing the game, but fooling around in a computer program <laughs> trying to make the thing uh, do, like, combat for us and automatic um, map display for us. It was fun. Okay. It was fun. Um, and, and what kind of computer were you dealing with at that point? Okay, this was a Rainbow, a, a DEC Rainbow 100 Plus with an 8088 coprocessor. Wow. <laughs> you have a really good memory. Oh, man, you know, some of the best memories, you know, stay with us. I can't remember what the heck I had for breakfast last week, but this I remember. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's what's funny, because like when we talk like 1980, I can tell you the stats of most players that played in 1980. <laughs> I cannot tell you. I would 10 play less. I can't tell you 10 American League players that are currently playing. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a National League guy, so that's all I pay attention to. Uh, as a kid, you know, you just the stuff you you learned back then just sticks with you. Yeah. So, yeah. so you played those, and then did you uh, you went off to like you got in high school, college? Was there like a wargaming club or anything like that, or D and D maybe like RPGs? Oh, man, were big? I wish I was like a stranger in a strange land because I'm originally from Venezuela, and so this whole exposure to gaming stuff occurred while my dad was doing his master's and his PhD in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but then once he finished, you know, we packed up and went back home. And I was like an eight, nine year old at that time. I mean, he still, we, we still had like the same games. We did do a little bit of civilization. Uh, but at that point, uh, you know, we meet up with his old college buddy and he was the one who introduced my dad to those games. You know, my dad with his tiny four game collection. I, I, I'm pretty sure today BG everybody would laugh at such a thing. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you know at the time it was like oh wow you have you have these games and um but he was the one who was like the real collector and we went to his house and he had a ton of stuff i was like you know kid in a candy shop and um and and i saw so much stuff i just kept opening game after game now, was, over it, was, the was, was this friend uh, american or venezuelan no, he was also Venezuelan, okay. but apparent but he'd done like a lot of studying abroad and then you know um, and then he did he did all of his studies abroad as well, and then he would only come back occasionally uh, to visit his parents and so on and so forth. And so in one of those visits, we went to see him, and he's just showing off. This, uh, he has this entire huge collection of just about everything in Avalon Hill and a whole ton of stuff. 
Heck, uh, my first exposure to B17 was his, in his collection. And, oh, cool. um, and so I just started, you know, borrowing stuff. And, um, and it was, and what was so amusing was how he was like, I would keep saying like, Hey, do you got more stuff? And, you know, because this stuff is kind of like simple. And like, and he's like, Oh really? And so he's like, <laughs> like, the grooming, like, the grooming begins. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, here, take this. And he gave me his second edition copy of world in flames. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, because it was like, Oh, that crap is, I, I, it's too like, he was like, Oh, this is too complicated for me. You, you play the whole thing. And then, like me, three weeks later, like, man, I've already played through two world wars, and I know nineteen forty-four scenarios. Like, jackass! <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I did try to introduce those games to my friends uh, in high school, but it didn't really take. I mean, some were kind of enthusiastic, but once they saw how involved the whole thing was, like, well, we got into way more than we thought we would get into. Sure. <laughs> So, um, and, uh, so yeah, I just kept, you know, mostly on my own later, uh, my, uh, stepmom gave me as a birthday present, uh, um, the TSR's old, uh, World War II, the European theater of operations. I also played that to utter disintegration. That one, I had more luck getting roping in a few friends because they had a lot of smaller scenarios. And so we did like Battle of Britain a couple of times and uh, uh, Battle of Bulge, such as it was, uh, you know, things that you could knock out in like 20 minutes, half an hour. And um, but and that was like that was like the threshold. Uh, they, they did not really have a high tolerance for um, getting into other stuff. And uh but I did later in college, not well, not college per se, but at, just slightly after graduation, I did meet up with with some like-minded folks. But you know, they were stuck in the whole Axis and Allies thing. You know, um, it was hard to get them out of that box. Right. Uh, but hey, you know, some some gaming is been gaming, right? Yeah, I actually never ran into anybody who played Axis and Allies much later. Like I, that was a game that was big, I guess, for where I I grew up. Yeah, and then when uh, and, and hey, this is like uh, this is like Venezuela. This is like an entire country that has absolutely no culture of this kind of stuff going on. So you, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm almost like building it myself from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and at one point, I did manage to uh, get some colleagues at work uh, to get into history of the world, and so we would at least do that. And uh, there were a lot of fun times there. Um, and, and, and what type of work was this? Like, obviously, I'm trying to imagine what office environment is receptive to uh, to board gaming. Okay, so I've been working pretty much in IT all my life. And okay. at this point in time, I was working for a big telecom. Uh, you know, they just do, uh, you know, you basically imagine just some AT&T, Verizon, analog. Sure. Uh, yeah. And so the, that was the kind of people. So that, they're uh, predisposed a little bit to, to playing these. Yeah, things. definitely. A little yeah. bit. Sure. Yeah. And um, and it, it was kind of funny because, you know, I like to, th- to think of history of the world as one of, it's, it's like a wine game in the sense that, you know, you keep whining about being the underdog and attack him, not me, you know. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> and um, but one of our friends, you know, he, he started like winning the game a bit frequently like two or three times and he's starting to get a little cocky he's like why are you guys even coming here tonight you know i'm gonna win anyway right and so like oh so you're gonna be that way right okay and then of course we completely just rigged the whole thing against him where we would give him like all the crap empires even though he was last 
Right. <laughs> and we basically did double laps on him. We did like 300 points and he was like 75. He's like, what a disaster. <laughs> what a disaster. Well, I, <laughs> you I, see why this happened, right? Right. I guess with those games, there's always the game within the game, right? Where you're like, you, you don't want to yeah, be the early yeah. leader. You don't want to be like, you have to watch all those things. Jason, oh, sure. Jason yeah. understands this because he likes playing railroad games. So I'm sure that's right. Important strategy. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but, but we purposely like broke the paradigm because you're supposed, the way these games work is, like you're supposed to attack the leader and not really single out anybody but because he became a cocky little sob we had to put him in his place well yeah so that's more like a social game <laughs> at that point yeah these are these are real life skills you're teaching them not just gaming skills. <laughs> oh exactly i'm sure her came in handy later on and you know that's right i think trying to work learned, up the corporate ladder yeah you learned some important lessons that's probably good <laughs> yeah so uh, at some point, I guess you uh, did you emigrate from uh, Venezuela? Yeah, I did that by way of Mexico. Um, uh, oh, so... this sounds exciting! Is this going to be some exciting story of of <laughs> of uh, sneaking around and like trying to go? Th- no, 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 swimming. Like not was like there that. no swimming? <laughs> no, 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 not any border kind of deal. Kind oh, okay. I was no, because excited. remember, I emigrated to Canada, so um, we were just waiting for our papers uh, to get. When I say we, I mean uh, my ex-wife and I. Okay. Yeah, I, we got married, and we had this like life plan. Oh, we're going to emigrate, and you know, we we studied like all of our options. Like you know, it seems Canada seems to be like the most receptive, whatever. Jot, jot, jot. And um, uh, but at then I got a job offer in Mexico, southeast Mexico, uh, the Yucatan. Sure. Yeah, and um, and we're like, hey, this could be a good springboard because I'd be earning a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the cost of living in the place where we would be living was like, it's like half the cost of what, of the expenses that we were incurring at the moment. So it felt like a great opportunity to kind of like, Hey, pull the dice on this and, um, and we'll just, uh, uh, and you'll have like can- a work, you get like a work visa yeah. from Venezuela to Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. So the company sponsored me and everything. Heck they paid for my flight. Um, uh, I, I guess my real in was the fact that I spoke fantastic English for them because they were like, we're this uh, outsourcing outfit and uh, and they're like, their strong suit happens to be, well, first of all, we're like a nearshore solution where, you know, we're in the same time zone. You're not talking to somebody 12 hours, 13 hours away in India. Oh, and see. second, yeah. Sure. And second of all, there's their other selling point was like, we make the effort to speak your language, you know, <laughs> speak English no, properly. Your selling point is you can barely detect that we're not American. Barely. <laughs> exactly. I feel like that. Yeah. It's, it's American adjacent advice. Yeah. <laughs> you need customer support. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So that's, um. well, they put a big, well, they put such an importance on it that the company offered you free English language lessons. Oh, nice! Yeah, they even set up a they they hired a teacher and they even set up a like a like a classroom on like the, the on the third floor of the of the three story building. Was the English teacher hot? Um, I'm just trying to figure out where this whole thing went. So I'm trying to identify the point where this went sideways <laughs> for you. So, okay. No, no, that came way later, man. So you guys, so you guys, so you guys go to Mexico, and then how do you make the move from Mexico to Canada? Well, because we had already put in our papers, and we're just like we're in Mexico while we wait for the bureaucracy to, you know, uh, 
turn the wheel, the chains, and tell us, hey, yeah, uh, your application is good. We'd like you to come here. Why don't you do your medicals and whatever and so on and so forth. That it actually took just one year. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we would get our, our visa stamped and all that fun stuff. But then 2008 happened, uh, you know, world sure, economic man. meltdown. Yeah, that's right. And it's like, okay, that would be a bad idea to emigrate right in the middle of an economic meltdown. So it's like, okay, let's just postpone the actual move. We did the landing. And we did the touristy things, uh, and we, uh, you know, we put in motion all of our official papers that we needed, you know, like um, insurance, uh, social insurance, um, permanent resident uh, cards, and all that fun jazz. And then uh, the good news there is that, you know, that permanent residency is valid for like five years, and you only need to live like... Uh, three out of those five years in Canada to like renew it. And we're like, okay, we can just like defer okay. making the actual move until the economic situation is better. And so that's kind of like what we did. So we, we hit pause on the immigration button for a couple of years. And, uh, and we didn't, uh, we actually moved in 2010. Okay. Cause you're, you have to spend, you were saying, I think, was it three of those years have to be spent? Three of the five. So yeah. Okay. So, between so you did your two years in Mexico and then you guys are like, okay, we got to go. Yeah. We, we like, we stretched it out. Okay. The economic uh, forecast is now looking more favorable because, you know, nothing worse than trying to find a job in the middle of an economic meltdown. Correct. Right. So you can actually get into Canada, even though I, I know that Canada actually has some pretty strict immigration rules. Um, so they were willing to let you go in there, even though you wouldn't have a job right then. You could still go to the country. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Because okay. uh, we did this with what they called the skilled worker visa program, where it's like you have, they, they, they keep putting on these sets of skills or jobs sure. that they're looking for. And as long as you line up, they're like, okay, cool. You got money. You've yeah, got talent. Yeah, you're sense. smart. You, you, I'm pretty sure you'll figure it out. Yeah, Fantastic. I think Australia is kind of similar where Australia says yep. basically like, are they you going to be able thing. to contribute to the Australia? Like, we don't want a bunch of deadbeats coming here. Like, we exactly. want people who are actually going to be productive citizens. So, yep. Interesting. So, uh, so yeah, so you guys uh, then get to Canada, you settle in Canada, uh, and it's, it's all, it's all roses from there, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, it was all uh, fairly roses from there, you know, I, I, because here was the other advantage. She actually had a job waiting for her because she had contacts that she exploited uh, because um, she in Venezuela, she worked for a business uh, that was they were like distributors for VoIP stuff uh, and they were in Canada, Claricom. And um and so during Mexico, she actually uh, kind of was working remotely with one of their partners. And then when uh, she discussed uh, our plans uh, to move to Canada, like, oh, but that would be ideal because then you could, uh, we're, because we're going to do a new company and you could be like, help us out with that sort of thing. And so the, the great thing for us was, uh, you know, you're going, you're, you're just getting down from the plane and wow, I already have a job from day one. That was fantastic for us because uh, that put less pressure on me to find a job immediately and not just sure. grab the first damn thing that came across. I could be right. slightly choosy. Right. Um, and so it took me six months to find something, but that was good. And then 
after that, we said, oh, now let's all the future plans that we had made, that we had postponed, that we had you know, like deferred or set aside. Now we can put everything in motion. Uh, you know, the happy story, the, 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 the couple that you now will everybody has their both have their jobs. Uh, now we can let, let's start having kids, uh, you know, start the family, buy a house, you know, the, the, the whole live in the dream kind of deal. Now was your, at this point were you, I, I don't want to make it about gaming, but, uh, it is a war gaming podcast. Uh, Heaven forbid. So, uh, was she, were you gaming now? Was she supportive of gaming or was she kind of just like, or were you kind of like trying to focus on some other stuff, trying to get established and make this move and. Oh, I still squeezed in time for gaming, and and she was uh, and she was okay with it. I mean, as long as it didn't like um, swamp everything else, and right. um, and she would even participate for a time in Mexico. That's when we hit this. Um, we got into this buzz where we liked the Battlestar Galactica TV series, sure, and yeah. we were really got into it. And then we bought the board game, and and we introduced it to to, to the friend she had made in Mexico this because some of them the were actually was this the one with the traitor. Yes, everybody loved the trader mechanic. Was, was she really good at being the trader? <laughs> um, I feel like this is a trick, trick thing I'm getting into. Um, I hate to say this, but yeah, yeah, she was good. Really I'm kidding. Yeah. Check. Okay. Check. Checks out. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you guys, uh, you guys are in Canada, and everything is great. So I can only imagine that. Game, yeah, because we split like time for gaming and stuff. Well, I split time for gaming. Okay. Occasionally, she would uh, she would join in some of the stuff that you know was that you know uh, she was okay. She was like comfortable like sharing our out. So she uh, she did history of the world with me, uh, and she did the whole Battlestar uh, Galactica thing. Um, but that was kind of like her her ceiling there. She, she did not do Race for the Galaxy or any of the other uh, stuff. But then she would be like, be encouraged, like, yeah, yeah, go to your convention, you know, get a day for yourself, and you know, and and, and you know, uh, now, enjoy uh, yourself and stuff. Uh, race for the Galaxy is that the card game Race for the Galaxy? The card game Race for the Galaxy. Oh, I like that one. It's a good one. Yeah, that, that. that was that was big in Mexico. I introduced. I have, that. I have all the sets for that. I, my actually, I've got my daughter into playing it. We enjoy. Oh it. wow! Well. Well, like we do know, the rebels, we like the okay. rebel Imperial Imperium. Set. Yeah, yeah, good. yeah. We um, in Mexico, I I got all the sets in Mexico, and um, great thing about this uh, the company I was working for there is that they had a Friday policy where it's kind of like, okay, you you finish all the stuff you were supposed to do, then hey. You could call it quits by like three uh, thirty ish, more or less. And most people just took off. It's like, oh, I, I did my due diligence. I did all of my tasks. I took care of everything. I'm done. I'm gonna go enjoy my my weekend early, right? Kind of deal. Uh, what my little group did was, uh, hey, everybody, be done by four because you know what's gonna happen, right? Yes, we're gonna play a race for the galaxy in the conference room. Fantastic. Let's do it. Well, see, that's, that's good. That that motivates everyone. <laughs> that motivates everyone to get their shit done. Exactly. So everybody was diligent, got it done, and then it's like five of us. We go to the main conference room. We would take over the damn thing. We play from like four to six p.m. And you know, uh, well, 
I was upfront with that with my with my wife. So yeah, yeah, we were playing here in the office. You know, I'll be home by dinner by six thirty seven. Some guys are like, oh, honey, I have to work a little bit late. I'll be there later. Well, I mean, no, <laughs> let's like- be honest. Like, the <laughs> argument is like, what's what's worse? Like on Friday, going and having drinks with the guys, or or. You know your husband's safe play and race for the galaxy. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I say. It's like, why, why are you guys being like that? Well, not all of them are like that. I, I guess everybody had a different home situation, right? Sure. So That's right. Yeah, I, I, so I have played. I do, I've always enjoyed that game. That's one of the ones I still have. So I, I thought at first when you said it, I was in my head thinking freedom for the galaxy. The old, uh, is that the old Steve Jackson? Is that the Steve Jackson one? Or what? There's a Freedom for the Galaxy one. I thought that that's it's not Steve Jackson, but I'm forget it. My mind's my mind wanders as I get older. Um, anyway, <laughs> so so uh, so you guys are in Canada now, and uh, what happens? Okay. Um, okay. So life uh, life continues. We have two beautiful daughters. Now you're, and... you're now you are you starting to also discover that Canada has a very active wargaming community. Oh yeah, most definitely. Just me, me upon landing, I was just like sending out the feelers, and um, and they uh, they have the quarterly like TabsCon, and they uh, they have those all events. There's the Niagara Board Gaming Weekend. There's a whole bunch of fun stuff, and I'm still looking to achieve that life work gaming balance. And um, I slowly start getting into sort of these things. There's also the Connexamuck. Uh, they do the monthly war gaming thing in uh, Midtown Toronto. They play in a church. Uh, okay. And uh, lots of fun people there. They do all those are like the wargaming focused people, uh, and so the, and very likable. Very very. Uh, I, I I did not get to go all that often at the beginning. Uh, I'm hoping to make more of a habit of that soon. Uh, but you know the times that I was able to assist a crew, uh, you know it's like a it's like a polite version of the guild, I guess. Like very, is, like that, very, is that even the same uh, thing? Can I think the no, same thing? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I never, I never got to. It's just that you know, just a bunch of I, maybe without the drinking, or maybe because they were in a church. That could yeah, be the it. church. The church yeah, is probably. The yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there. probably it. Yeah, it's probably it. No, because uh, at uh, the Niagara, that was a hell of a lot of fun, and especially because you see a lot of people crossing the border just to get there, and um, you know. Lots, lots of gaming late into the night. Lots of hilarity, and when people just can't coordinate at two a.m., it's like, wait, you can't make that move. It's like, what are you? It's two a.m. Oh, yeah. Fuck right. it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So uh, so now, what's your current situation, gaming wise, and and with everything going on? Okay. So let me think back. Right. So let's. I guess let's go to twenty fifteen ish. Because I remember joining the guild around the time uh, everybody got excited about doing an Empire of the Sun tournament. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. And uh, and I joined the guild exactly at that time. In fact, I think the, my, my reason for joining at the time was, I want to be part of this tournament. These guys are cool. Well, we and, were doing the haikus. Uh, we were doing the, the <laughs> games with the haikus. Remember that? We yep. had the post yep. haikus. Fun, funny thing. Funny thing. Um, I remember writing something, and I did not, and I and I was writing them in separate sentences. I did not notice that the damn thing lined together as if it were one sentence, and it, it was really funny because it's like, okay, this is stupid. This is not a haiku, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
And um, as a matter of fact, I think actually that tournament is still ongoing. I, I think Doug I think and so. I, yeah. Oh my god, we still need to finish the. We still need to finish the last. I keep mentioning that to him. He's like, "Whoa, dude, you know, take it easy. Don't go so fast. It was, we're not in a rush." I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, Empire of the Sun is a great game, but it is one of those where, for me, if I don't keep play it regularly, I do fall out of practice pretty quickly with it. That is true. That's um. Uh, I uh, and that's why I, for one, I love the game to death, and uh, I essentially play constantly. Um, I either have an email game going at all times, or I'm involved in the staff game in CSW. It's basically the only folder I visit in CSW these days. Yeah. Um, you did, guys did, know why. Did, <laughs> didn't, didn't you have the post? Somebody had the post. I think it might have been you. The ten most common mistakes made in, in Empire of the Sun. No, I read that. No, but I didn't write Somebody that. Somebody posted that one. It was really—it's very useful because it—it it is. It is. It's the ten most common mistakes. That people make. <laughs> it's like eh, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the game a lot too. But yeah, yeah. Again, Otherwise, like, I fall out of practice, and then I'm like, but yeah, I, yeah. it's a game I would never sell that I own. Oh yeah, no. For me, that's one of the. Uh, a few years ago, I kind of like revamped my entire like rating system stuff and uh i found uh, i found that i was giving way too many games tens that really didn't deserve it so at this time empire of the sun is one of three games i have rated as a 10. i've also got plan orange empire of the sun oh excellent that's a, that's oh my, a very oh my book that's book. a different situation it's a uh-huh. good game but it also has i find <clears throat> many more moving parts in terms of the victory conditions. Uh, but it reflects really well the mindset of the people who were planning that conflict. Yep. Uh, so it right here. It's right next to me. Oh, my, yeah. my cabinet, I've got Polis, Empire of the Sun, and Plain Orange sitting right yeah. on my, my shelf. Heck, I even had a little box made for it because that's that was just a pure man game. Yeah, I did. I do. I have a, a, a like a a plastic envelope for binder for binders that I put those in. So right, awesome, awesome. Well, cool. good. So, uh, anything else you want to add about your uh, origin stuff? Or are you good? Uh, no, I can keep going. Um, yeah, yeah especially let's, let's get to the money shot on this one. <laughs> sure, it's because because <laughs> well, you guys were talking about hey you 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 came in here hot and then you kind of like faded away and then you came, you that's came right. back and so on and so forth. Um. Right, so uh, that would be around the time the pandemic hit. We were all still on Rocket at the time. Uh, oh, is that what? Is that really? I don't remember. Is that recent? Okay. Yeah, it was like maybe. Uh, yeah, it was like we're talking about four years ago, maybe five years ago. Right. Um, yeah, because uh, I would say that right around 2015, going forward, that's when the home front started decaying. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna go all Melrose Place on them. So that's oh, no, not the, yeah. that's not... you, you can if you want. We're fine. Yeah, yeah listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, what, the... whatever is more cathartic for you, like just do what do what you got to do. <laughs> Thanks. Anyways, um, so yeah, that that situation started decaying for various reasons, and then uh, it's one of those. I've heard a lot of people say that. When they got into the pandemic, it's what a lot of people started realizing. You know what? Now that I have to actually interact with you at all times, every yeah. day, I don't really right. like you. <laughs> well, this, this happens also when uh, kids go off to college 
And right. then the two parents are like, like um, so who are you anyway? <laughs> <laughs> We've been so focused on the kids for the past like 18 yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't wait to get there. Um, for me, it was basically this slow burn that, um, you know, almost mission impossible. Like, you know, you're seeing the little, you're seeing the little thing, you know, just go across the screen and you're like, yeah, this thing's going to blow up eventually. And that's kind of what it did in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it was a freaking nightmare. Um, well, I mean, to, plus if you're going to split up, right, it's like, what are you going to do? Like yeah. pandemic's not exactly the best time to start trying to find no other house situations or yeah. court or do legal shit. <laughs> no, a lot of stuff. And, uh, and, uh, and you're very cognizant of that. And so you're like, okay, uh, you, you need to, you know, negotiate, play nice or whatever it is, because, Hey, courts are backed up for three years. Like, That's you right. You want to be in this thing That's right. for, yep. for extreme uh -huh. long haul. Yep. Um, but you know, uh, and so I had to deal with this very intense situation. And so basically gaming had to fall by the wayside. Right. Uh, in fact, a lot of stuff fell by the wayside, including a ton of friendships, mm -hmm. because it, it was that intense and, and, and that emotional and that like, damn. You know, yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. So, oh, so uh, did, is, did it start to get like like a little bit un, it, unfair? I was starting to feel like Michael Douglas in War of the Roses. Wow, that's pretty strong. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, also good there point. was there was a lot of intense crap that went <laughs> Jason's on. Like also an excellent movie, though. Great movie, yeah. <laughs> Great reference. Oh, it is, it is. I just didn't expect to be my own protagonist in it, you know. That's right. I mean, we didn't trash the house or so, or have any like you know, candelabras falling off or anything. But you know, I think it was emotionally in the same place. Um, but yeah, you know, okay. So I go to war. You know, I go to Vietnam. Then I the bad joke um <laughs> no you're back <laughs> and um and yeah you know so we go through this whole ordeal uh we we, we negotiate we finalize um uh, we agree on you know parenting time scheduling and all this sort of jazz and uh and, you know we're just now we just move on with our lives thank, thank you very much Good. And uh, and so, you know, little by little, I start again, reconnecting, uh, playing again, uh, getting back in touch uh, with some of the folks um, that I did regular gaming with. Uh, so this would be, yeah, I would say towards the end of 2021, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Well, once I had like finalized a whole bunch of stuff and then... And then, so, and then starting last year, I was finally starting to get back into a whole lot of gaming locally, uh, uh, starting getting back in uh, with, one, uh, with one of my regular uh, gaming partners. Uh, it's funny because we, we, before the pandemic hit, we were playing Pandemic Season 2. Mm -hmm. Then the actual pandemic hit. I wonder, how, I wonder how Pandemic, the game sales are doing since the pandemic. Like, or people like, that's a good question. People are like, you know, I'm just not up to playing. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because we're still playing Pandemic Legacy Season 2. And it's, it's kind of funny because you have this log of the games that you're playing. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, we played the January game uh, starting the year. And then you see like the log entries, like, oh, January, January, February, and then February again. But then you do a double take because 
the first February game says, oh, this was in February 2018. And then the next one says, February 2023. Wait, wait, what? There was a five-year hiatus? Right. <laughs> or you're like, hey, player three hasn't responded with their turn in like a month or so. It's like, uh -oh. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too soon. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think. Wait, did they, did they I fall to COVID? I, I would be interested to see if Panther... <laughs> Like, cause I don't think people want to play that type of game right now. They're just like enough. Like, can I just fight a dragon? Like, why, why are we playing this game? Oh. Get away from that. So, yeah, it's, yeah. well, it sounds like, like a lot of us, uh, as you've gone through this experience, um, uh, you're going to, you're going to find that you're, you're going to be living your best life. Oh yeah. Indeed. Most definitely. Cause yeah, the rules are though for the second time around, uh don't settle for anything nope. no red any any red flags you're out exactly um, i remember i went out on a date with a gal and she's like oh i don't like to drink i'm like well we're done all right <laughs> i'm like we're done we can't date anymore because i said i'm just never going to be in that situation where you're going to look at me sideways because i had a drink like never uh -uh. and uh and you've got uh two sounds like two great girls and yep. uh that shit that's that's you just did what you needed to do to get married. You had kids. Perfect. You got kids. Mm -hmm. You don't ever, if you, you didn't know. want to, you don't ever need to do that ever again. Exactly. So. Heck, I, I cut, I, I cut the, the cables in there. So I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Two kids and that's it. Well, uh, Jason will tell you <laughs> yeah, that that's wait, not wait. a permanent solution. <laughs> it's not but that's always fine. just, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, you do well, have well true, true. I mean, um, we, uh, I, I am extra careful, but yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, the advantage once you get the work done is once a, if a gal's like, oh, I think I may be pregnant, you're like, fuck off, because it's nope. not me. What do you mean? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, I don't think so. Right. Who have you been seeing? That's right. But yeah, so great. I think it's great news. So, because uh, I mean, obviously it was never meant to be. So now you, instead yeah. of wasting your time with that person who's not your soulmate, you can actually meet somebody who you really would have a significant relationship with or just get laid a lot. So whatever either works. Way. Both are either great. Way. Both, a, both. Either way, or, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or heck, if you can combine both, that's right. right. Soulmate and get a late a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, all good things come to an end. <laughs> yeah. Some of that stuff. So, True. <laughs> so uh, good times. Just real quick, we do have a quiz that we have to do, and there are people that are driving to work. So, oh. uh, so Francisco, I just want to let you know there you have some options. There. Okay. I, I don't know how often you listen to the podcast, but all the time. Yeah. So good. This, these are the type of people we like. That's what we want to hear. <laughs> uh, so you can choose either of us. You can choose either Jason as an ally for you in the podcast quiz, or you can choose myself. Okay. Okay. Man, what a hard choice. Actually, you know, it's actually choice for a lot of people it's not a hard choice but that's fine uh no but i think i'm gonna choose dave as my ally because you know jason he's still jet lagged from whatever I, it was yeah real quick do you want to tell us about your trip or do you want to save that until after the quiz um yeah let's save it okay cool so jason's gonna give it i get to do it let me get it open yeah Besides, I, I, I already noticed over and over that Jason loves asking questions. <laughs> Dave hates. I, uh, I know we. I do appreciate. I do appreciate being the ally, but um, I understand it. It's fun to mix it up. up. Yeah, <laughs> we have our preferences. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not I'm not messing with the tried and true formula tonight. Sure, fair enough. No, I mean not if you want to score highly on the quiz. I think that's yeah. It. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I'm not good with detail. Things like names and dates. All right, hot August nights quiz. Oh, it's, cool name. It's time for name that loser. <laughs> I think I this the, might be a new question. The categories make the quiz. Yeah, for sure. love it. Name the losing commander for each listed battle. You guys ready for that? Yep. Sure. Go ahead. The winners write the history. Now we're now we're thinking of the losers. The Battle of Gagamella. Not even a date. Just seriously. You used to give dates. Gagamella. We're picking the loser. You're picking the loser. We're picking the loser. Isn't that an Alexander fight? That's what it sounds like. Uh, that, that's what's my be a, first. Is thought. it going to be a Persian? Yeah. Who Who the heck was the only the only Persian uh, I remember from Alexander is Darius. Yeah, that's it. I think that's what it's going to be. I think you're correct. Okay, let's go Darius with Darius the third. I'll give it to him. Uh, thank you. Or as Did I like that, to say, Darius. Darius. It's All a right. dead language. Dead language. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like Darius to me. Oh, hey, real quick. And again, I can't remember from podcast to podcast what I've ever uh, said, but uh, I, I have found a podcast that I really enjoyed and I thought I'd recommend it to people. It's called a subject to change. And the <laughs> host is named is, is Russell hog. And he's like a, an old British guy. Who's one of the best hosts I've ever heard. And what he does is he brings on, uh, all these professors to talk about different history, like great explorers, ancient warfare, uh, brought on Brett Devereaux from uh, who people might have heard on on uh, Three Moves Ahead. He's been on Three Moves Ahead before, uh, but he talks about uh, raiding uh, uh, Saruman as a commander based on medieval warfare oh, and the, uh, the the Witch King in front of Minas Tirith as far as an overall tactical commander for how he handled the siege. And it, it's really good. It's called Subject to Change by Russell Hogg. And I think guys will really enjoy it. A lot of nice uh, historical pieces. Now I just subscribe to it. Yeah. So Excellent. I just, because of the ancient angle, I was thinking about that. So <laughs> awesome. Nice. Uh, yeah. So we got Darius down. You got Darius. Darius. So I'm, so I have been strengthening my ancient knowledge because I've been doing a lot of hiking and listening to this podcast. Nice. Wow. Oh, oh, that's very good. Talk about that too. Yeah. I briefly considered studying. <laughs> and I thought, what's the fun of that? I'm sorry, studying so, what? Studying for the quiz. Yeah. Oh, that would <laughs> be like, funny. I should yeah. look up ancient stuff. <laughs> you could probably just read a bunch of GBOH uh, box sides. True. And True. But we're doing good. The Battle of Pharsalus. Uh, the Battle of Pharsalus. Is, is, Battle. Is this Caesar versus Pompey? I don't know. No idea. I'm, I, not, I'm not strong on ancients. Clueless. Yeah, I'm also. Well, the yeah. loser, if it is Caesar versus Pompey, it's Pompey is the loser. So I'm fine with that. Let's just go with Pompey. Indeed. Oh. Two for oh, two. fantastic. There Fucking you go. Yes. Man. Kill yeah. it. See. You, you picked correctly. I, I I would have had nothing for either of these. So That's right. 
<laughs> see, <laughs> shocking it's, for it, everybody. See, this is a it's a, it's like a good leadership kind of kind of thing. It's not about being the best guy for it. It's knowing who to who to pick. <laughs> <laughs> best guy for the mission. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Well, have our strengths. The Battle of Marston Moor. I'm out on this one. Well, the Marston what? Marston Moor. Is this like a ECW? Sounds like an English battle. Sounds like an English. Yeah, Moor. Only the English would name their battles after a Moor. The werewolves hey. lost. Did the werewolves lose? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't know. Uh, and with no like date or a time period or some weird thing that like help. No. You could guess a king. I mean, if we're going to guess it's significant, maybe guess some English king. I don't know. Or is it ah, this one? English. Is this one? I don't think this is one that the Scots lost. You know, some of those. No. Are... I'm going to make crap up. I'm going to say Ethelred. And there you go. There you go. Ethelred. Nice. Prince Rupert. Oh, there you go. It wasn't. Oh, much. well, you know, we're close. I mean, within the general vicinity of the of the geography. Yeah, we got the correct nationality for the leader. That's right. There we go. The Battle of Germantown. Who's the loser? Uh, well, this is Washington. Okay, let's go with Washington. There's America. No, 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 no. no the, the Washington, I think, is not the loser. <laughs> I'm trying to think. This is this is American Revolution. Uh, Germantown. I, I I could look over. I have the the game. <laughs> I'm not going to look over at it. Um, is it? Is it? Uh, it's somebody British. It might be Hessians or British because. Okay, so let's think. Germantown. Is this like Pennsylvania? Could be. It could be how. Oh, that's right. You know, it could be how. I don't think it's Cornwallis. <clears throat> No, he was in the south. Yeah, so I. Would, but the loser is British, right? I'm pretty sure the, the Allies won at Germantown. The Allies, the Americans. <laughs> well, I guess the French. It is the French. We do have Allies. There are Allies. Yeah. Yeah, but I think at that time they were kind of like on the on the. Um, yeah, we were uh, the rebels. Yeah, we get um, it. Yeah, on, on the on the on the ramparts, like they were, they were just like with the pom poms, right? I, yeah, I, go I, go. I, I want. I don't think I know Washington's going to be there, but um, I'm not sure that he was a loser. I mean, you could guess Washington because I, I actually don't know who won Germantown. Um, I would, so it's how or Washington. My guess would be, but I don't know. Oh man, well let, we have Washington British... might be an easier guess because uh, if it's Hessians, I don't know at all. So, right. Well, let's just go with Washington, and and uh, you know, let's just let's just keep it rolling. Hey, you got a fifty-fifty shot. It is Washington. Oh, there you oh. go. <laughs> Check it out. Nice. Because, and you see, my logic here was we already had a British loser. We can't have two British losers in a row. Fair enough. Because Washington was was did lose a bunch of battles, but he, it was he was good at losing and then still keeping his army in existence. You know exactly. You know he was like the perfect like uh like the, like the perfect um like retreat a, like a Fabian Fabian yeah, yeah. commander. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like no matter how many times they defeat, it's like he keeps coming back. Damn right. it! All right, Chase. And the Battle of Kennesaw Mountain. Oh yeah, I know this one. Um, well, the question is who lost it? Like who lost it? Who lost it? it? Yeah, be careful. It's it's <laughs> Joe Johnston versus Sherman. Um, 
some would argue that Sherman lost this battle. <laughs> Is this uh, one of those Peric victory situations? Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, I'm I'm willing to throw myself out there. Uh, I yeah. Do I live in a state that's that that's a, that's a <laughs> southernish state? Yes, I'm going to say that Sherman lost this battle. But this is a this is a borderline battle. I think Sherman is the loser here. But I'll let you pick. Uh, I'll go with your guts, Dave. Sherman. Sherman, indeed. Okay. There we See. Go. <laughs> I actually had to do a staff ride, run a staff ride for the U.S. Army for Kennesaw Mountain when I was at officer basic course at Fort McClellan for the military police uh, officer basic course. Nice. So I'm pretty familiar with Kennesaw. Awesome. Battle. But the question and, of who won or lost is a, little, a complicated a question. Icky. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, it depends on your point of view. Yeah. They, they lost a lot more guys. The union. So I guess that's safe to say. All right. We're keeping, keeping the category strong. Name that aircraft. For each listed Ooh, model of U.S. aircraft, get the name that is associated with it. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah, I'm not going to be any help on these. And I went to a museum today. Oh, good. Oh, fun. Uh, of course, Canadian aircraft. <laughs> uh, yeah, it might not help. But they bought a lot of American stuff. Too. Right. The P-47. That's a Thunderbolt. Indeed. Nice. Curtis SB-2C. Curtis SB2C. That's a Helldiver. Goodness gracious, that is correct. Wow. So not one I've heard of. Uh, F86. Sabre. Wow. Correct. We might be the super team no here. Hesitation. This might, wow. Goodness. This might be the. Uh, Francisco and I might be like the super team for fucking military. Trio. Yeah. <laughs> I eat all the fat, and he eats all the, eats all the lean. <laughs> there we go. And between the two of us, we lick the platter clean. There we go. P61. Black Widow. And oh, shit. That is correct. <laughs> and F111. Wait, what are, the, are we going for the official name? or the? Okay, I'm just going to go with Aardvark. Yeah, Aardvark. I actually knew that one. That's nice. What <laughs> five for five. I don't know if that's ever happened. Sweet. All those years reading uh, Bill Gunston's military aircraft of the 20th right. century panned out. It, it all comes to this moment. For me, just all those years masturbating to that F-111 poster on the wall. <laughs> it's not a sexier aircraft name than Aardvark, that's for sure. Definitely. That was, that was awesome. This, this we're, we're reaching high score territory. Here. Yeah, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm worried taking that, it back. Sorry. I'm worried that Braxton's going to be like, "Oh, I got to make the quiz more difficult <laughs> now." No, no, don't do that, Braxton. Don't. All right, let's shift. Shift. I mean, those were tough. Slightly. Like the Hell Diver, that was a tough. I yeah, Hell Diver, no way. P sixty one, no way. I was get, ever going to guess that one. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. I'll be honest, Thunderbolt, I probably wasn't good either. So. All right, it's time for name that armored vehicle. Oof. For each go. description, name the armored vehicle that oh. is being described. <laughs> Funny way of putting it. Yeah. I entered service in 1979 and am still active today. Over 2,000 of my models and variants have been built. I am designed and manufactured by Mantac. 
My main armament is an MG-253 120mm smoothbore cannon, and I carry 48 rounds in my interior inventory. I am the current MBT of the IDF. This, the Israelis? Is this Merkava? I'll that's go with that. A, that's the only main battle tank I know for them. How do you know that? That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I would not have gotten that. You know, uh, uh, that that would have been my thunderbolt moment. <laughs> it does. I think the Merkava actually carries troops too. I think it can fit some guys in the back. You guys are. You guys are. I'm just glad I can contribute a little. Yeah, bit. towing up to a. I, I actually, I wouldn't have known it until you told us that it was Israelis. So yeah, I, yeah, that's that was the key, I think. Yeah, like what the heck is this? Yeah. All right, uh, I was a heavy assault tank designed in 1939 by, ooh, I don't know what this abbreviation is, ZH, but it's like ZH period. I don't know. Okay. By ZH. ZH yeah, it looks like like is it a Mister situation? I don't know. Um, Coton and manufactured in the Kurov and ooh, Chelebinsk, Kelebinsk tractor factories. I was in service from 1940 to 1945 with only 210 of my models. Sorry. Sorry, I'm going to fix something real quick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. There was just a word that was thrown in my mouth. Uh, I was in service from 1940 to 1945 with only 210 of my models built due to poor combat effectiveness. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reason. My main armament was a 152mm M10T howitzer, and I carried 20 rounds in my interior. I was a massive 10 feet 8 inches or 3.25 meters, thank you Braxton, tall. I was <laughs> known by my crew as the Dreadnought. Ugh, so 152, that tells me right away it's a, probably a Soviet tank. Right. Also, the, the city names I cannot pr yeah. pronounce. Yeah, yeah. Those I'm are thinking, very, is, very it the Su, is it the Su-152? Yeah, that's my thought too, Su-152. KV-2. I would have guessed KV-1, to be honest, but I didn't know the KV-2 had a howitzer. <clears throat> yeah, but it was the 152 thing that like threw off, oh yeah, there was an SU, but that was a late war thing, not an mm -hmm. early war thing, because it entered production in 39. Yeah, yeah well, okay, there we go. Mm. That's fine. We That's all right. You're, it's you're, all right. You're, you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> no, damn it. We have to be perfect. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Off to the gulag. I was, I was an American medium tank used during World War II. That's it. No, just kidding. My turret was produced. <laughs> <Sure>. in... <laughs> yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. My turret was produced in two forms, one for U.S. needs and one modified to British requirements to place oh, my yeah. radio next to the tank commander. My main armament was a 75mm gun yeah, in hull. It's a Sherman. <laughs> Hold on, let me finish. Okay, sir. My main armament was a 75mm gun in hull and a 37mm gun in turret. The US model was known by oh, one Lee. name. Is it the Lee? 
And the British variant was known by another oh, name. Or is it the Grant? Is this wait the Grant? a minute, wait a minute. This is the whole Grant Lee thing, right? Or was it Stuart Lee? No, what no, it, it's not Stuart. Stuart's the light tank. The It's the one, yeah, so there, it had the weird side gun. It's, that, that, that's not a Sherman. Yeah, that's right. That's I think it was a Sherman. A, I think I, I, yeah, I, it was, a, it was the Grant it, Lee it, combo. Yeah. It, is it a Grant? Is that actually a combo? I don't that's know. that's Whoa. correct. Yep. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. The yeah, M3 right. Lee slash Grant. Yep. That's right. It had two guns. It was weird. Yep. All right. Thanks for your generosity, Jason, on that. Yeah, one. thanks for that. Oh, you, you, mean, both, you both said it. I mean, we're blurting out answers, but it's, we, <laughs> it's when we officially say it's our answer that it should count. <laughs> just like, I just want to hear the right one. Good. We're brainstorming. Got it. We're brainstorming. Exactly. So it's a weird combination of names for the for the Americans and Brits to share a tank name. I know, but I mean, it, it was a different era. Yeah, different time. Yeah, yeah. I said that a lot the last the last ten days. Yeah. I entered service in 1973 and am still act in still in active service today. Over 25,000 of my models and Shit. variants have been produced, and I am still. And I have been in service with at least 40 different nations. I have a 125 millimeter smoothbore gun with only a crew of three. Mm -hmm. I have seen combat in at least 25 regional conflicts. What year did he come in? 73. Mm. Is this the T-72? That's my thought, the T-72. Because the crew size is the autoloader. It's got an autoloader. Yep. Mm -hmm. that would it is good. the T-72. There we go. Yay! There we go. Awesome. Junk. That's how you do it, ladies. Done. 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 <laughs> Another one bites the dust. Seriously. Designed as a mobile assault gun, it was briefly produced by Germany between 1943 and 1945. Only 18 of my models were built. My main armament was a 308 millimeter. RW61 rocket launcher. Oh, In my interior, I only held 14 rounds of ammunition for my main gun. Okay, so 43 to 45, 308 millimeter rocket launcher. What kind of armored vehicle was this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm trying to. Chase, I'm sorry. Are there any details besides that? 43 to 45, 308 millimeter rocket. Um, for, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I guess the answer is he did read the whole thing. <laughs> I did. Yes. No, and no nationality. Uh, oh no, Germany. he did say produced briefly by Germany. Yeah. In, in the 4345. Produced by Germany. 18 models were built. Yeah, only 18. That's the other. They, they, they always kept producing one-off crap, didn't they? It's like yeah. they can't. Um, I, have no idea. I have no idea. No, me neither. This is um, oh, this is a very, very weird, you weird just say, vehicle. Is it the Schliebenwerfer? <laughs> <laughs> the Scheisen, Scheisenwerfer rocket? <laughs> Something like, Nebelwerfen haven comes That's back right. in this weird thing. The the Kuntenschleisenwerfer. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No idea. 
The, the Sturm Tiger. Sturm Tiger. It's a crazy looking vehicle. Yeah, I'm sure. It sounds Sturm like a, Tiger. Sounds like an idiotic it's, design. It's got a got a little stubby on on the front of it. Well, they they were known for that. Did they have like the super heavy tank called the Maz? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. See yeah. if they described that, I would have got that one. But that was like that was like a more of an assault gun, right? I don't think that even had a turret on it. I think that was like a slightly mobile fortress. Yeah, I, yeah, that's this the thing one where there were either. there were like one or two. Like that, was, I don't think even. No, it was, yeah, it was just like a prototype. And then they had the elephant too. That was the other one. Was I was, uh, yeah, I was thinking at first when we're like, oh, produced forty three to forty five, limited numbers. Oh, I was thinking, yeah, maybe it was the elephant because that was like the loser right. of the. Uh, of the tank competition between Porsche and um, and what's their name? I forgot him. And um, and then and then you know Hitler felt bad for for their buddies. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give him an excuse to finish building those things. Right. <laughs> Thus, the elephant was born. All right, Jason. All right, Dave. It's all uh, right. It's, it's time for an explanation. It's bonus oh, it's- time. Is, is this is this the bonus part? Bonus. It is. I'm confused as to. I think I will is. require an explanation. Yeah, I'm this. sorry. Do I have to explain the bonus? I thought yes. Jason always explains. The <laughs> well, he is the person who is right. giving the questions. Right. So, so be... I, I I just don't feel like Jason can kick it off by saying, "All right, Dave." I think Jason has to say, <laughs> right. "Dave, we've reached the bonus portion." It's time for and bonus. then, right then, I ask because yeah. new listeners would be like. This seems incongruous because exactly. suddenly it is. It is in what? fact a little incongruous because suddenly it's, Dave it's is all asking a little all bit silly, and I don't Dave know exactly Dave, how it started. Because this is a this is a very serious podcast, <laughs> and I know the listeners really expect a lot from us. Um, Truly, you know, I, I I read the reviews, and they hurt. They've hurt me deeply. Some of them about the drinking and the fact that we don't take the swearing seriously. The swearing. Uh, the bad audio. I mean, we've we've really worked. But the audio is fixed now, right? We we've worked Most. hard to fix. We've worked hard to fix almost all of these problems. Um, and I can tell you, in the future, uh, we are going to be putting out a greatly inferior product you're used to. So fantastic! Now that's a promise you can bank on. That's right. We guarantee it. You will always get your money's worth with our podcast. And we'll chop it up. We'll do like a the the origin story will be one podcast. The quiz oh. will be one, and then we'll, you know it'll be thirty we'll thirty five minutes. On, we'll something on, we'll Patreon. On, we'll be on Patreon. That's how we make more episodes. <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah, so there's bonus. So Jason, so you're telling me there's bonus questions. Um, do these Bonus questions uh, count more or less? You, you tell me. Oh, so I'm somehow supposed to know this, even though I'm, <laughs> I'm just an innocent guy who's on the podcast. Okay. I have no uh, clue. I just, just need an explanation. How yeah, did so, this bit even, like, it feels a little <laughs> like well, Jason your kid uh, just, like, find something that makes you laugh one time you know, and they, then, like, never let it go. I, Jason, I would say, it's called a running gag. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's a bit. We're doing being, a bit. I'm being yeah, doing curmudgeonly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess as a – I mean, I, here I am just an innocent question answer, but I'll explain how the bonus works from what I understand. That's how it works. That, is that uh, they count for extra points. And so if we get oh. these bonus questions right, we will get more points than people who've gone before us. Fantastic, fantastic. But 
being a bonus, right? Right. They're supposed to be like, oh, I'm just giving these to you. So if we get them wrong, they don't count against us, do they? They do. Well, they do count against yeah, you. Yeah, 100%. They do? They're going to count yeah. against you. It's, you will, damn. It's yeah. part of your score. Um, now, I mean, there, there are uh, some groups that will say, no, we won't count them. And these groups uh, get, try to recalculate scores on the podcast quizzes. They're infamous. They meet maybe once a year and try to establish alternate scores uh, for the quizzes. For, for Sounds like Freemasons. Right, exactly. There's a lot of ritual involved. Um, for us, we prefer to think that we just score everything. That's so, easier that way. So from okay. that perspective, yeah, I think bonus counts. All right. So we're, um, we're egalitarian. Regardless. Okay, so, so, so if I get this right... Bonus questions yep. are asked in the same manner as regular questions. From what if I you, understand, Jason, if you that's, get them, that's correct. Yeah. If you get them right, they count points just like regular questions. Correct. If you get them wrong, they also count against you just yep. like regular questions. Yep. Uh, yep, yep. Right. It's almost like they're regular questions, but these ones are bonus questions. They are bonus. So yeah. you know, you remind me of my fitness teacher she has the same shit going on it's like we've reached the bonus round it's like what's the, <laughs> not a bonus, what's yeah. the freaking difference yeah. it's just the, more exercise the bonus exercise. would be yeah. the bonus would be skipping that round right like exactly. you don't have to do it you can go sit down and get, you've done enough your push-ups that's yeah. right yeah i agree all right so uh yeah let's hear my guess uh, yeah. i'm still confused i don't know if the listeners it's can fine help, but let's just yep. Plow forward. I mean, it's gone this far. Yeah, we we've been basically making this this quiz our bitch the entire time. So yeah, you guys. Much, we've yeah. missed maybe That's one or two. So. Three, to be fair, but three. Yeah. we have missed oh, three. Who's counting? Well, Jason <laughs> is. So, yeah, Jason counts. Who does count? Them? I do count. Dave's good at answering questions, and I'm good at tallying. Things. Yeah, I'm not good at the statistical part of it. <laughs> I think I think this is. Braxton spitting in the eye of, of the last quiz and all the there was some some tut tutting nickname Uh-oh. I don't need no fucking nickname name the military or political persona that each listed nickname is most associated with all right Ooh. he is ready yep little go boots. for it. little boots little boots little boots Caligula Caligula that's one hundred percent. All right, I'll go with Kalila. Official answer. There we go. Oh, Dave, I love how Dave was just so prompt with that. Yeah. Caligula. Bam. Well, I know it's just a famous nickname, but. Awesome. I dig it. Um, yeah, that is surprising that you just knew that so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude, I was a Japanese major in high school, like in college. What are you talking about? Like, I knew all this stuff. <laughs> I studied none of this. It's all I'm self-taught. So. <laughs> self-taught. That's right. Autodidact. My history that I learned in college was the worst history. So boring. Hated it. Every minute of it. How about the Poison King? A Mithridates. What he said, Dave. <laughs> what, what is happening? I, I actually wrote a paper on Mithridates. I know exactly who he is. I I I I pasted that into the chat of Mumble so I could just hit. <laughs> enter when we got to this because I wasn't I sure a, how I was going to pronounce that. I have a book on him called The Poison King. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's in the book. 
no. They, they Tell me a little bit about this it, guy. They, they want to make us look like monsters, but we we know our shit. Like we're. Tell me yep. a little bit about this guy. He uh, was the king of, I believe, of Pontus in the east, and uh, he, he actually is a very interesting character. He challenged the Romans for quite a bit, and Pontus, if I remember correctly, was a, a country in like Turkey, Anatolia, that area, and uh, kind of fought against a variety, opposed Rome in a variety of different. Uh, leaders i, I want to say sulla first and maybe i think pompey might have defeated him after that it's been a while so but, uh, i just added the book to my amazon cart so he would he would drink I, I, if i remember correctly he would drink certain amounts of poison in order to make himself immune to them oh nice it's a real uh because then he Princess could serve Bride a meal situation. he could serve a meal and eat some of it yeah like, they'd be like oh he seems fine it's a strong <laughs> move <laughs> and they would die so <laughs> He also, I think, created like imitation legionnaires trying to replicate what the Romans had done. He he was more of a when it, you know like the idea is back then he was more of a Greek king, Persian king. Uh, the, the racial mixes get mixed mm -hmm, up mm -hmm. in Eastern Europe. Uh, the whole argument, like with Cleopatra, uh, sure. race was she? Yep. She was Greek. You know, the, she was Ptolemaic. Yep. In fact. The, 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 the Ptolemaic generations at that point were interbreeding with each other to make sure that they stayed Greek. So that's it. That's all I have to say about it. Love it. We'll stay on Kings, the Sun King. This sounds familiar. The Sun King? Uh, the Sun King. Louis the Fourteenth. I was going to say, I'll exactly. give you a hand. I would, I would know this one. <laughs> because you just came from because the i just yeah, i just got back yeah. Yeah, you were at this house i Can was i went to house? his house yeah, i did nicely done uh coming forward in time a little bit howling mad howling mad i should know this one Howling Mad, Howling Mad Smith, wasn't he the Marine General? Oh, that and sounds right. That is correct. Holland Smith. Holland, Howling Mad Smith. You guys, goodness gracious. All right, Little Powell. Colin Powell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's right. <laughs> little, little Powell is the nickname? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that would not sound correct. Um, no, I, yeah. I can't think of any other Powell. Little Powell. Just, let me just think about it. Like what? Like why would somebody be named Little Powell? Uh, I'm trying to think what war that would be something. Yeah, I actually, I don't know. I, I can just hear the audience yelling at us. Oh, come on. <laughs> you don't know who Al is. Well, I think we've done pretty well, so I think we'll be fine. Yeah, you guys are doing all right. Uh, AP Hill. Oh, nice. Ambrose oh, Powell Hill. Yeah. Ambrose, okay. Yeah, never would have got that one, no. <clears throat> Gentlemen, that was a solid showing. I, I'm looking at 16 out of 20. Wow, nice. 
I think that might be a record. I, I Congratulations. Don't, I don't keep track, keep track, but I think that might be a record. That's well done. Yeah, Poison King was my proudest moment. Jason, watch that was, I can that imagine was Jason's solid. jaw falling to the ground <laughs> oh, when I immediately <laughs> guessed that one. <laughs> I'm going to have to read that when, book now. When we're going like Caligula, Poison King, yeah. I was like, oh, so this must be how Dave felt when I was rattling off aircraft names. Oh, dude, yeah, it was the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good. But I'm not necessarily strong with the ancient stuff, but when Mithridates, I know all that stuff. I know his stuff pretty well. I dig it. Should we break for a, a refill? Yeah, let's do definitely. That. Let's do that. All right. Of course. All right. Be back. Pouring salt in my sugar won't make yours any sweeter. Visit in my yard ain't gonna make yours any greener. And I wouldn't know about the rocks in your shoes. So I'll just do me and honey. You can just do you. And like the dragoons from StarCraft, I have returned. <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. So one of, the, one of the things I want to mention, this is just more boring ancient history stuff, but this is a, kind of an interesting fact. So I mentioned that, you know, for uh, Cleopatra and Tal the Ptolemies and the, they, that they inbred, um, one of the generations, the early one, I think, uh, I want to say like the second, first or second one was Ptolemy Philadelphus, right? So Philadelphus actually means sibling lover. Oh, interesting. So think right. about the brotherly love. What's the, <laughs> what's the right, right? What's the name of Philadelphia? And they're there like the go. city of brotherly love. Yeah, it doesn't quite mean what you think it means, Philadelphia. <laughs> yep, yep, like, yep. It's not like good brotherly love. Well, it, means, it might be. It means you're married Depends to your brother. Depends on your point of view. Yeah, if your sister's hot, I guess, then that's a good thing. But like, <laughs> but I I thought that was so funny. And that's it was hilarious. I, and I, I was listening to Subject Sounds to cool. Change, that podcast I was talking about. The guy mentioned it. One of the professors mentioned it. And I was like, oh, no shit. Does Philadelphia know that their name oh, is not – is actually about incest? No. Yeah. About... <laughs> yeah, so I thought it was funny. That is funny. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't want to talk about incest. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I just I thought it was very interesting. For, yeah. they, they named Philadelphia that, and I, I made the jump where I'm like, oh my god, that's the city that's where crazy. they live. What a weird thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, dun, dun. Uh, so I think we did great on that quiz. It was really incredible. well, right? Um, Jason, you want to talk about your France visit? Sure, France, 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 France. It, yeah, we just got back. Uh, the night before last, um, I still feel a little shitty from jet lag. I, I, <laughs> I thought we were recording last night and it was like two hours beforehand. And I was like, fuck, I don't know. I'm going to do this. Luckily I looked back at the calendar and realized it wasn't. So yeah, I went to bed at like eight o'clock last night, which is pretty great. Um, and we, we kind of got now you took the whole family took the whole family and we kind of awesome. got their roundabout because um about a year ago i realized we hadn't taken a family trip in like five years and like we gotta do something i need i need a, a trip i don't want to go to disneyland i'd like to get out of you know our, our kind of comfort zone and my wife said let's go to hawaii i've never been to hawaii but i was like i don't know i don't really want to go 
sit somewhere. I want to go do something. Sure. But my daughter and wife were like, let's go to Hawaii. That sounds great. And I proposed, let's do something historical. Let's go to Washington, D.C., and then we can like go through Gettysburg and then into New York so that we could like see a play and do something where everybody kind of has something throughout the thing. And my wife and daughter were, no, I'm not going to New York in July. It's going to be hot and muggy and gross. Oh, that's correct. They're, they're right. They're they're right. <laughs> I said so. She'd be like, "But you're intrepid." <laughs> that's right. I've been there. <laughs> um, I also, said, if you go to if you go to Hawaii, go to Maui. Right. That's the way, right. That's the place yeah. to go. Uh, which yeah, we'll probably eventually do. I said so. Let's compromise. I want to go do something historical, um, and you know. Everybody kind of has their own little pieces. Let's go to France, uh, which is kind of a weird jump. But um, and part of it is my in-laws have a friend who lives there. And I said, let's take your parents. I've never traveled outside of the country other than with the military, which is not really traveling. Um, and I was a little hesitant about like going to where, quote unquote, they don't speak English and getting around and whatever. And so you guys have passports and all this stuff? We we got our passports like right after kind of the COVID restrictions lifted um, because we're going to England next year for our 15-year anniversary. Nice. Um, so awesome. that's why we didn't go to England because we're already going next year. So um, did, you, did you bring your in-laws to France with you? We did. We did. Oh, man. Yeah, um, which which ended up being mostly good. I mean, I love my in-laws. We get along super well. Um, and it was kind of like being my shepherd. You know, my father-in-law speaks French. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah, so I'm like, you can translate for us. Turns out we didn't really need it for the most part. Almost everybody we encountered uh, spoke, spoke English. But <laughs> so the, we, I, I like to call it common. It is common. I, I did. I, <laughs> I I I kind of expressed it that way to people. Yeah. Or, um, yeah. And so, like, we kind of all kind of came together and like, who wants to do what, and um, kind of did all the touristy stuff. We stayed on the Seine in a in a houseboat while we were in Paris, which was that, pretty rad. That looked pretty cool. So we could see the Eiffel Tower off the deck. Um, it, it was great. Um, <laughs> there were spiders on the boat. Um, yep. Like a lot of spiders on the yep. boat. Um, and my son got like chewed the fuck up. And I, I am, I'm, we don't kill bugs in our house. Um, so we'll like capture spiders if they're in the house or scorpions and just let them outside. Uh, we had spiders to are useful. Spiders are very useful. Um, there well, it sounds were like, like, it sounds 15... like the spiders aren't living up to their side <laughs> of the bargain. <laughs> in that deal. I'm, I'm usually, you know, live and let live. Uh, they, they ate, ate my, my son up. Um, and then my little one was freaking out. So, um, but we had some kind of misadventures, um, but we did all the kind of touristy stuff in Paris. We, you know, went to the Eiffel Tower, went to Versailles, went to the Louvre, um, and it, it was 
it was great. And then we, I was like, I want to get out of the city and see some historical stuff as well. And my daughter is super into World War II. Oh, cool. Um, Fantastic. Cool. More, like, more than I am. So um, she's like, I want to go do some World War II stuff. So we, their, their friend lives in Rouen. Um, <laughs> they went, they flew in a couple days early to go spend some time with her. She's 87 um and had a fall like three days before they got there so her kids put her in a home so we stayed in her house she wasn't there she was like in a nursing home Um, what a a feel-good story which was very tragic yeah (laughs) it was um it was bad and we stayed there one night and my son who got bitten by spiders got eaten by bed bugs Oh my gosh. <laughs> no. She, she has this 300-year-old chateau in in Rouen um that shockingly has has bed bugs. So like we lost a day basically scrambling. He and I spent the day in uh <laughs> in a laundry mat washing and drying everything and scrambling uh. to find a hotel and packing and um so that that was kind of a bummer we we had planned it was thankfully like a a, a scheduled rest day uh, mm-hmm. so we could just kind of explore the city a little bit and not have anything uh, my in-laws could just kind of relax and hang out with their friend who ended up not being there so it kind of worked out um but yeah it was and my son was a rest good days are important very important we we had two kind of built in that um didn't really happen but but yeah, it, it was good to have some downtime. Um, and then we did all like the World War II stuff. We saw some um, medieval stuff for me, did the Bayou Tapestry, did um, the Khan Memorial Museum for my daughter. She, it was so funny, everybody else like blew through it. And she read every placard that was in English and like just really took her time and, and got cool. in her emotions. And That's cool. Um, That's very cool. It was like great. maybe maybe that's going to be something she's interested in pursuing. Yeah, yeah, she's and passionate about it. It's something she's liked for a while. Like when you know Dunkirk came out, she was like, "Dad, let's go see Dunkirk." When Devotion came out, "Dad, let's go see Devotion." I mean, the uh, shame is like the the guys are all gone almost. You know, for, yeah, for the most part, the originals. Yeah, um, and then coming home, we took the train from Rouen into Paris, um, and then got on the metro. And then the metro was closed. <laughs> they had a power outage on the metro, so we're like an hour's train ride away Oops. from the airport, and so scrambled and uh, got a lift or a boost or a bolt or something um, for a hundred euros to, to the airport, scrambling, right. and got there like thirty minutes before before we had to take off. Um, it was great. It like it was such a good trip we we kind of took our time with it um so you didn't rush from like location you got a chance to enjoy everything we we did yeah we kind of set like the louvre was one day versailles was one day we kind of just dedicated each um all the world war ii stuff we kind of fitted it one day but it worked out pretty pretty well we went to like the cemetery which was like surprisingly emotional for me um yeah of course yeah um but yeah it was it was it was fantastic so had happy to be back you know like traveling can can get exhausting a little well, tra- bit traveling also makes you appreciate home right 
Right. So. And ice. People had talked about like they don't put ice in, in their in their water and drinks. Um, my wife and son, or my my youngest, had a really hard time with not having ice water, which is very funny. But yeah, it's it's good to be back. Um, going to work on Monday is going to be a little weird, but that was good. That was good. Excellent. Got all the all the good history stuff. Fantastic. Yeah, and it kind of got my fun my my middle son fired up for some some war stuff. He he was kind of into the World War Two stuff, seeing it and asking questions. So we might play like Normandy forty four something. Or, oh, uh, what's nice. the, I love that one. Liberty Rose, maybe something like that. Or like, yeah, I was thinking. I don't have memoir, but what about Undaunted? Would that be something that he would like? I don't know. I don't There's have it. A, it's it's something. It's kind of a pretty. I think it's kind of an easy kind of an intro, yeah, intro game. That's a good. That's a good idea. Good graphics, yeah. Something, something to play, and even my daughter, yeah, come come play because I think that's pretty approachable. I think Patrick plays it, so you know it's light. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we did college visits. So that's oh we, fun. We drove across your, the country. Your girls aren't. Quite there, right? It's oh, a few no. years I've, off. So. I've got a, I've got what we call a rising senior. So, uh, she's going to be a senior in high school next year. So she's going to be applying. Interesting. So oh, Monica, wow. Monica was like, "We got to go yeah. check out schools," and so we drove. Uh, we visited uh, Paducah, Kentucky. Okay. And, and for me, I'm kind of into like the Western theater of the Civil War. So yep. Paducah was cool to see. Like, okay, I want to check that out. Paducah was really nice. Uh, we went to see uh, Nashville uh, to check out Vanderbilt. Uh, awesome. We stopped in Gatlinburg, which is basically if Branson and Las Vegas had a baby, that would be Gatlinburg. Whew. Like, it is the most tacky hillbilly <laughs> town i've ever seen and just walking the streets of it it was just unbelievable like i immediately was like we should have just driven through this town like why did we even stop here but just, let's get out of here before we find ourselves in the twilight zone episode it's hot sweaty uh and strangely a lot of pakistani families seemed like they were touring like there was a woman wearing a full hijab and i'm like it's like 90 percent oh. humidity oh. and we're walking down the streets of gatlinburg it's just unbelievable so uh would not go back there would have skipped it um we then hit durham visited duke duke is incredible um <laughs> i I went, to, I went to duke we know the old the old duke was great from the outside now apparently it's good on the inside like when duke would look beautiful from the outside with all the buildings you would go into the dorm and you're like holy shit this is a completely shitty dorm room with crappy furniture and now it's like they have poured so much money into that university that they have like indian restaurants thai restaurants like all wow. these they have these big dining they're rated like number one in food because they're all competing for the kids and uh the furniture is all super nice. I was like, no wonder kids don't want to leave college. Like, I, I wanted to, we had a tour guide, we went through the store. I wanted to tell her, like, you know, the real world is not like this. <laughs> <laughs> like, you are Small never, never going to live as well <laughs> as you're living right now out in the real world. Oh, that's so like, sad. Have you seen what an apartment looks like? Right. It does not look like this. Like, but it, 
it, it was fantastic. I mean, the money they put into the university is just unbelievable. So, I mean, Monica was crying as I'm we're walking around. Like, I felt like Monica wanted to. <laughs> Can I go to college? Well, and they kicked all the fraternities out, so they've gotten rid of all the like when I went there, fraternities controlled housing on West Campus and all that. So fraternities are basically all off campus; they're not around anymore. They have they have stuff like they were talking, and she's talking. She's like, "Yeah, so they they built a a Zen garden for students who might be stressed out. They can go down there and do diagrams in the sand." And like, are you fucking kidding me? Like. <laughs> I was happy if the bagels weren't stale when I walked into the cafeteria. Like, so it's it's completely different environment now. So. Dave is taking me back to the days with polymer pancakes in the cafeteria. Of yeah, the university. we had, we had the toasting machines where you put the bread on it and we go, and the bread would slowly rotate through the toaster and then plop out. Like that's what we had. It would take fifteen like, minutes. Like we didn't buy stuff at restaurants and there was no restaurants. So whatever. It, it, but it was fun. Uh, and the Washington Duke Hotel next to the campus is fucking fantastic. So we enjoyed that. Had a bunch of drinks and, and really enjoyed ourselves. So then, so we did that trip. Um, and that was basically our trip. That <laughs> was our vacation for the year. So we checked that box. Um, one did, place, did any of them make any impressions or are oh, they yeah, leaning I think anyway? They, I think everybody liked Duke. Yeah. Like, uh, Nashville's a shithole. Uh, Nashville is like hot. Uh, and so Vanderbilt tries really hard, but Vanderbilt's problem is it's stuck in the middle of Nashville. Duke is surrounded by woods. And right. Insulated. Oh. It's technically in Durham, but I don't think Durham owns much land anywhere adjacent to Duke. So they figured out that trees are their way to protect them. So it's like Duke is basically like a high elven or like a wood elf college. Like they use the trees <laughs> to keep everyone else out, right? So no one else can come on campus. Uh, the problem with Vanderbilt is Nashville is traffic, hot, urban, really like we went down to like the main street thing where they're like, yeah, you can go down there and see the the bands are playing. There are so many drunk homeless guys walking around that it was like dangerous to walk. And, huh. and, and Metro PD for Nashville is nowhere to be seen. There was one, I was walking and my girls, it was an incident, but um, we were walking and I saw this guy and he's a hobo. He's drunk and he's harassing these gals, like three, four or five gals in front of us. were just trying to walk. And he first went up to them and I was like, okay, if you're going to just ask them for money and they're going to say no and then you walk away, that's sure. fine. But he wasn't doing that. He was like being a dick to them. So I got around in front and I just stopped. And then as they walked by, I pushed him back. So he was – I said, leave him alone. Stop doing what you're doing. You're being a dick. And he's like, fuck you, man. So we started getting into this whole thing. And I'm like – the problem with a hobo is when you fight a hobo, there's no way to win. Yep, they got nothing like, to lose. Like, you either have to wrestle with a hobo, <laughs> which is not going to be fun. Don't do that. Because no. he's sweaty and stinky, or uh -oh. he's going to beat you up. Like, there's no way the fight's going to – if you win, like, or you might push him and he's going to fall in the street and hit his head and then yeah. whatever. Yeah. And you're the meanie. But the, the, the gals were like, hey, thanks so much, because he was fucking with them. And the police are nowhere. So it's just like – so my girls uh, were like – and so then he was walking along – with me trying to start shit with me and i'm like dude if you want to spend a night in fucking county jail you're about to get it so 
Like I was to the point where I was done with him. Like I'm like, I will fight you at this point. And uh, but he's just a bully. Right. He doesn't right. want to actually get in a fight with him. Right. So then he peels off. He's like, fuck you. And then he starts just trying to harass other people. I'm like, where the fuck is the police? Like to clean these people up. That's get bizarre. Them out of here. I mean, in L.A., we would book them even if the charge wasn't great because you just take them downtown. Yeah. And it's going to take right. them like days to get back to Venice Beach. Like cause they have to walk. <laughs> like, they're, it's like at least you give the people a break from the guy. But this is this is how this is how police work works now in in uh, some areas. Like not in my area. If you, if you tried to pull that shit on the strip down at Osage Beach or Lake Ozark, you'd be sitting down in Camden County Jail for four days. But uh, these areas where the guys don't want to do police work anymore, it's like it's the it's the citizens who are really the victims, you know, because you're getting harassed by all these nut jobs. But whatever. So that's it. That's me cranking about Nashville. Uh, it was super hot, right, uh, and, and any place good had a ton of security again to try to keep the homeless people out. And so we were left with kind of a vibe like, and and also if you drive near Nashville, you'll know you're near it because traffic stops. It was as bad as That's L.A., bizarre. except that uh, it was it's bad no matter what hour it is. It stops. It's just I think there's too many people there. I think too many people yeah, have, have the infrastructure. I think a lot of people have moved to Tennessee. And so a lot of people have. Yeah, uh, I know a few who have moved right. to Tennessee. My, my daughter was thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it can't, but they can't really handle it. So whatever. So it kind of was not great for Vanderbilt. We, we didn't leave us with a great impression for the town. Um, but I blame the cops. So. <laughs> Uh, so that was our trip. Oh, oh, one place we went, though, through is, uh, again, Civil War is Cairo, Illinois. Oh, yeah. So Cairo is like a famous location. Anybody who's played like the U.S. Civil War board game or any of those, Cairo is like a critical location. This town was a rich town based on because it's at a, the, the conjunction of a bunch of major rivers. It is a total shithole now. Like when you drive through Cairo, think of the worst town, Fort Apache, the Bronx, um, El Paso, Detroit, Texas whatever like yikes it flooded so many times that they basically said you can't have a city anymore <sighs> we're not going to insure you no one's insuring so there's all these giant buildings as you drive through to get to paducah these huge stone buildings that were like the post office the sheriff's office the courthouse they're all abandoned post-apocalyptic and there's just zombies wandering around so there are people still wandering around in this town but you're walking through like like 90% of the buildings are abandoned in the town. So like if you can find a YouTube video that shows someone driving through Cairo where they filmed it, I'm telling you, like I was like, I mean, I'm armed because I'm a retired cop, but I was, so I was like pretty sure we we're going to be okay. Um, but I'm still <laughs> driving through this town. Like what the fuck? It's like, you're, it's like you're going through, you're watching the autopsy of a city. It's just unbelievable. That's crazy. Yeah. So when you travel wow. with your weapon, do you like look at the laws where you're well, going? I'm a retired police officer, so I can carry in any state. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know. So, so the CCW laws don't apply. Yeah, not, not, not having to worry about that. Yeah. And that's a, that's a federal thing. That's just. It, it, it was, I think they got passed with the Patriot Act or something like that. Okay. Um, I can't out. carry on an airplane, but which is why we tend to drive more. But hmm. um, yeah, you just have to, I think as a retiree, 
I don't think I know as a retiree, I have to qualify with a law enforcement agency. Whatsoever. Oh, that's right. You have mentioned that. Yeah. Just to make sure I'm not like one of these old guys who, like, <laughs> <laughs> just, no. I mean, believe sorry, me, when I was, when I was out. at the, when I was at the LA County DA's office, we would run the qualifications for retirees. Oh, and some of these guys who were like, they're barely, they're barely <laughs> able to shoot these guns. <laughs> Well, keep their it. firearms and their driver's license though so i recommend everyone watch a video of Cairo, and i'm sure jason will put a video youtube video of Cairo in the show notes i could do that do we have show notes i don't know if we, we have show do. notes yeah there's some great ones so check it out it was unbelievable like i've seen some shit like i work the ghetto i've been down in the south end in la i've seen nothing like Cairo, illinois unbelievable wow it, it was like you were watching through, like walking through like a Mad Max movie or something. It was just bizarre. That's it. The Last of Us. It was bad. Uh, the other thing is I wanted to ask this, Jason, you probably have experience. I don't know, Francisco, how old your kids are. Jason, did you ever teach your kids how to drive? Oh, yeah. So Two of them now. I'm not there yet. So we had two. Our two have gone through driver's ed. And then Monica is trying to drive her and they're like dangerous. Like, <laughs> like, was it scary? Like what techniques did you use? To, did you send them to a driver's ed course? Um, with my daughter, we didn't because she, she really wanted to drive. So uh, it was very scary. And uh, we paid for a few bumpers to be, you know, buffed did, and repainted. Now, do, do you keep your hand on the steering wheel? <clears throat> no. There, okay. Um, so how do you start out? Uh, we start off just in our neighborhood, uh-huh. just like drive around or, or um, we live just north of the Cardinal stadium. So we would just go to the stadium parking lot, which is typically empty and just kind of drive around and like do this and do that. Sounds and like just, a plan. Yeah. Just try to, and that's how I learned how to drive is we went to the BSU parking lot and I drove. Um, and so that was kind of the, the starter. And then it's, you know, let's go to the grocery store right up the street. Um, and we had a few scary moments. Um, parking was always a big deal. Well, and um, the problem is because you might be able to grab the wheel, but you can't control the brake and the accelerator. Right. 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 Which is the important parts. Yeah, um, that's what's going to kill you. Is yeah. the, those things. <laughs> With my son, we, we did a little bit of that, but um we kind of got to the point where he didn't really want to drive but we needed him to get his license that, that's so we where, that's where school. we're at on the oldest one yeah she's not motivated to really drive yeah she wants an electric bicycle she wants to live in like a city she can ride around on a bicycle oh, that's awesome those cities are impossible to live in though so mm-hmm. she's <laughs> to figure something else out yeah that's right well your electric bicycle will well you can escape from from situations hobos Sure. Hobo attacks. <laughs> hobo attacks. Yeah, because I'm like, how do other people do it? Because our school provided drivers at training for free for the kids, which was great. Um, but then, like, we didn't have a chance to get them driving right away because of activities. So then Monica was like, oh, well, I'm going to take them out driving. She's like, oh, my God. She comes in. She's like, I almost died today with our daughter. <laughs> you know, they because like our daughter didn't understand that when she has to take a turn, she should slow down. So she thought she could do like a right turn at like 40 miles an hour, like just a normal <laughs> residential street. So it's, it was just bad, bad experience. No, no, I, I'm barely dealing with puberty, Dave. There you go. 
but it's going to be challenging for you too, right? Because that's your, like for me, I was like, I'll be honest. I was like, Monica, that's your problem. <laughs> you're you're, you're going to deal with that. So it's, it's going to be interesting. It has been an interesting process, but thank God I've gotten to the point where my oldest, you know, is trusting me to like share and you're like, dad, I'm going through this. Sure. I forgot this and I'm like, no problem. I got you covered. Stuff I they need. All yeah. your needs. Look, here's a little pouch for yeah. all the stuff you need. Whenever you need to go to the bathroom, go to bed, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, she's, she's a warrior. So yeah. like, not, not like a, no, not warrior fighter, warrior as in, oh my goodness, this, this, that. Right. <laughs> so. God, I wish you were um, my dad, Francisco. You sound like a great dad. Thanks, Dave. I try my <laughs> best. <laughs> no, no, seriously, it means a lot to me. I remember my dad. Uh, he would visit. Well, I was still married at the time, uh, and um, you know, we had our children, all that fun stuff. And he, um, I remember him being concerned because my oldest at the time had been diagnosed with ASD. I mean, it's, it's not at the like severe end, just like in the social awkwardness sure. kind of deal. Right. And, um, and you know, for the family, it was like a big moment. Like, oh, goodness. Wow. You have to deal with this challenge and so on and so forth. And then, you know, a couple of years later, you know, we're uh, full swing therapy, yep. doing all the stuff and, and they visit and, and they're with the girls and, you know, it's all, rosy and you know they're interacting and doing all this fun stuff all this and, and the youngest is you know just doing her best to charm everyone and i remember when i drop off my dad at the airport when we're like um you know he's getting ready to fly back to houston and all that fun stuff and then you know he takes me aside he's like you're already a better dad than i ever was and i was like oh please don't say that i'm gonna cry that's right <laughs> But I mean, to be honest, like we made it pretty easy for our parents, like Monica and I talk about it and I'm not like, I'll be honest, my girls, I love my girls and, but sometimes they annoy the shit out of me. And, uh, cause there's things they, they've had it pretty good and we had it rougher, I think, than our kids did. And Monica and I'll talk sometimes. I'm like, I wanted to drive. Like for my kids, I'm like, hey, let's go drive. And they're like, eh, we don't really. I'm like, yeah, you don't need to learn how because we drive you everywhere. Like, we want that to stop. <laughs> like, we're trying to get you to drive. And like, my, because my dad was like, yeah, whatever, here's a course. And then I just took the driver's test. My dad was not involved at all. No, I just, yeah. I wow. just drove. And, and here I'm just trying to like, what else can I do? What else can I? <laughs> I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah, our parents did not have that same thought pattern. I think. Yeah, I I guilted my grandparents into getting me a driver's course for my 16th birthday. Two days <laughs> after my 16th birthday, because everybody forgot about it. Oh, <laughs> I was with my at the time. Like, everybody forgot. Like Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Can you imagine? Oh my God, that would never happen in my house. Like that would be like Armageddon if the right. kids broke. Right. Well, first of all, it's impossible. It's, it's impossible. Just, yeah, because they, they would yep. mind us co coming up like a month ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, that's good. They've got it. I guess that's the way you do it. You try to make life better for your kids. Than that's what we do, and you still fuck them up, and they're still. Yeah, we they had to blow it, up in France because so I'm not a great dad. They make it so hard, <laughs> dude. Yeah. Monica and I complain all the time. We're like, we're like, they have it so easy. Like they don't even understand. But you can't even tell them because then you're just a dickhead. 
Yeah, well. And I'm a dickhead, turns out. Yeah, that's right. And here you took him on an awesome French trip. You're the worst dad ever. Right. Worst dad ever. He took us to France. I know. Yeah. It's hilarious. I never asked to go to France. <laughs> and then you need to go, uh, brother. You, you will shut up. You will go to France and you will like it. <laughs> and you will like it. So I've got some war games I've been playing. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, that's right. This is a war game podcast. It is a war game podcast. I got Border Reavers in the in the mail from GMT. It looks cool. Um, I saw I it, has little, it has a little sheep and horses and stuff. I think. And I stuff. I don't love that. Oh come I, on! I I I, <laughs> I don't. Um, I I also got it. I set it up. It's too big for my fucking solo table. <laughs> oh, is it? It's just like the map isn't very big, but you have to have all the like player aids and player sheets out and true all the like bits and stuff and i just yeah. i got a little in the in the solo it doesn't really make it smaller it just says you don't use these two markers, right, right? So. yeah so i'll get back to it but i, I need to figure something out on my I, table so I, I i'm i'm playing a bunch of uh retrospective games for me um Star Trek Ascendancy, I bought like wow a long time ago. And I, I have just, not heard of that one in a long and time. I, I just looked at it. I'm like, hey, what's it doing down there? And then I started looking at it. Man, it's a fucking really good game. And uh, so Petey and Hollywood and I have been playing it. What are you playing it on, Vassal? Vassal. It's got a Vassal module. Huh. Excellent. So then, of course, I get in the thing where then I'm like, well, maybe I should buy some expansions for this game because there's a lot of them. Is so, it still being supported or is it all just kind of second no, it's, wow. it's still there. Wow. So so I can buy it. So uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I've, I've been been have we've been having some fun with it, um, playing on weekends, uh, doing a little East Front 2 action with uh, Patrick. Oh, the, here's another funny one. So I, I had uh, Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition. I decided to buy 4th. And then I was like, you know, I've got a lot of games that I need to get rid of. Like, I have Descent from, like, years nice. ago yep. that I I could never get the girls to really play, so I put it up on eBay. And then uh, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sell all my Warhammer fan, fantasy role-playing 3rd edition stuff. Uh, I'm going to sell that off. And I know I have a box in my garage of all this stuff from Fantasy Flight Games, the 3rd edition of Woofoop. And uh, I started going through it. I started, I'm like, I'm going to inventory it so I can sell it on eBay. So I'm going through the cards, inventory other cards. And I'm like, oh, these cards are really cool. Like, what's this card? This card? Now, so then I go, where I'm like, slope. I'm like, maybe I'm not going to get rid of this game. Then I'm like, how many of these are still available? Like, where did I miss it? So th then I find myself on eBay ordering more things for oh, the game man. that's out of print. Like, this is an out of print <laughs> game system that I've, Never played with a human being. <laughs> so, and it sat in my garage for three years. Like, so it's a problem. It's a disease. We've all been there, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, so I, I went from pricing it to sell it to then seeking out. I'm like, oh, I can get this last expansion for $160 from Noble Knight. Like, I know that fucker sold for $30 when it first came Of course. Out. Yeah. Noble Knight's Not the worst for that. So that's that disease. And then the last one, which is a good disease, we can talk about later if guys are interested, is uh, we're getting back into a world at war and gathering storm and storm over Asia, which is nice. Just put it all together. Yeah. You know, I was part of the early 
play test for Gathering Storm. It was like its initial uh, phases. I remember that. But I remember getting a bunch of guys to play it over email and sending reports to, um, to Harper. Right. Yeah. And um, I remember the, fir- the first few iterations, the damn thing it was just too easy. It felt like a World War I naval race because everybody would just start building battleships or whatever. It was like, by the time we get to the actual war, everybody's going to have like 40 battleships. I mean, what's going on here? Well, yeah, now, now it's, they've obviously restricted it quite a bit to where you, the, the interesting thing I think about gathering storm is, um, it's, it's a set of rules that I feel like it's the a world at war group is a, a, an enclosed echo chamber of players who play yep. a lot of a world at war. That was my experience. So, so the problem that, and that's not, I don't hate them up for it, but the problem is then when you're trying to develop games that are supposed to be to recruit new members, um, they never do that thing where you're at the end, when you develop the game before you're going to sell it, maybe give it to four guys who've never played it and tell them, Hey, read the rules and see if there's any issues. So yeah, because the game and is played on the table. Because the guys have it's, it's constantly being play tested by people who've already played it and they're familiar with it. When new people come in and look at it, it's like, what the fuck? It's like an alien artifact you just discovered. And it's true for this game. Like there's like just as an example for Gathering Storm, there's a rule for uh, they've they've got like three paragraphs just about how to do random draws for tiles, which which could have just been Hey, we're trying to just do random draws, so maybe put them all in a sock and pull them out, or whatever. Or there's another thing about mobilizations where they never decide find what mobilizations are, and mobilizations are really important in the game. And then there's a tiny little rule section where it just says, in parentheses, after converting a factory to a military factory, mobilization in quotes. <laughs> so you're like, like they just <laughs> forgot to put the rule in. You're like, holy shit, like. How the fuck were we supposed to know? Because we're like, what the fuck? How do these mobilizations happen? So that's how you expand the force pool of stuff you're going to build that's right. later in the fight. That's right. Yeah. So so yeah, and I'll get into it if guys want. If you guys want to talk about it, but it's fun. I a world at wars, but I and then I remembered that this is how I stopped playing a world at war because I was playing a world at war, mm-hmm. and then I got gathering storm, and I started trying to sit down and push stuff around gathering storm and i was just like fuck this and i took all my shit and just put it back on the bookcase i stopped playing all of it for like years probably like eight years but it's actually yeah, a really good game it's a, it's it's a really there's a lot of really cool rules and the problem is with these rule sets like gathering storm and, and the world of war they do a lot of things differently than other games do um but for war gamers who are traditional war gamers, it's very foreign, and the, they're just not good at explaining it in plain language. Here's what we're trying to do here, which would be like, okay, I get that. That rule makes sense. They just don't do it. Now they've got videos they put online. There's a there's a gal who like narrates all these videos. You can sit through all these YouTube videos and watch them. Um, it's useful, but man, it's just it's it's a lot. But I think. I think the juice is worth the squeeze. I love that expression on the game. So nice. We're it's gonna good to see. hear you playing it again. So we're playing it. We got a group. We got a bunch of guys playing Gathering Storm. We're working through it now. So that's what I got. Francisco, what are you playing? Okay. 
you got to press your button if you're talking. Um, yeah, that's the martini talking now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we, we got there. <laughs> I, figured, I figured since you let off, you're like, and here we go. And then, and here, and then oops. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, the finger did not cooperate there. So, um, yeah, Empire of the Sun. You already, you guys already know that. Yep. That's the that's the wheel that keeps on turning. And as you say, no, but just, that's that's amazing. That like, how many times do you think you've played that game and you still enjoy oh, it? It's the my most played game ever. Like, like five hundred times. Well, maybe two. Well. Well, maybe. I mean, I've been playing continuously more or less since 2012, 2013. So, yeah, 500. At one one point, I I remember having like four to five games going on. And then it'd be be tricky because then I'd be planning a move on one game. So, wait a minute. That's not the game I'm playing. That's That's this one. Plus, plus the haiku writing alone is just unbearable. <laughs> yeah, yes. no, be confusing amazing. things and um and and you know writing writing three separate lines, thinking right. they're separate sentences, and then they actually get put together as if they were a paragraph. And you're like, but that, oh, wait, that's, that's that's a that's a real testament to that game that that you can play it that many times for the replay value. Oh yeah, most definitely. I never get tired. I mean, there are so many combinations, so right. many different things that can go on with it um it's it's just i mean for for strategic level i mean yeah i know for some people it's kind of like oh come on you don't have individual battleships and carriers you have this kind of stuff yes but i can play the whole war in a reasonable amount of time right and it handles the war in china very well i mean all that yes it does i mean because i mean how much do you need right of detail in terms of like a thing that was just basically static, right? I mean, um, now have you it, played? Do you play Pacific War? I recently I have the VG, and I recently acquired uh, the most recent edition, and I've been putting into like little battle scenarios. I've done the Coral Sea, and I have to agree with most of the common wisdom in that Pacific War excels at the campaign level. Sure. And it's like, just sit down, play Guadalcanal. It really shines in Guadalcanal uh, and, you know, Malaya and all these. I think it's like campaign scenario, operational stuff that uh, and you can play that in an also, again, reasonable amount of time. But a lot of people are like, oh, but you need to play the whole war. It's like, man, but if I play, I'll play in real time because, I mean, you know how much work that is. I mean, and people do it. Uh, and there's this amazing AAR on BGG. God bless those Australians. Only Australians are crazy enough for this. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, say hi to Pine Tree. And um, and they just basically narrated and posted pictures and co- uh, with a with a sort of like a juiced up vassal version that they came up with. Uh, to just bring it up to spec, and then they and they just did the whole war. They went all the way to like 1944, or so and it took them like three years. Wow! It, but but it was an amazing read. I gotta say that that was an amazing AAR. I mean, and, they, and they, they are they are stuck on an island, so yeah, they, they don't have that much to do. <laughs> so, that is true. If anybody was um, gonna do it, but uh, and the way I've heard Mark Herman tell the story, it's like. He intended for Pacific War to be like just operational level and sort of like zoom in on the campaigns 
especially the South Pacific and um, and you know and the and the Philippines and stuff like that. He never intended to actually make a strategic scenario where it's like fight the whole war. No, he didn't right. never intended that. But you know he he. He's running VG and whatever. They're like, how are you not going to make a whole war? So they, they pestered him. And I thought, okay, fine. I'll come up with something. And then, then, sure. then that's yep. how that started. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's in one of his many pizza stories. And um, That's right. Pizza. It's, it's, it is probably a pizza story. <laughs> they, they decided over pizza and Coca-Cola. Exactly. To make a strategic scenario. And, uh, but my understanding is that, you know, when they finally came up with the GMT version, uh, they had uh, – many years of data to go by on what worked what did not and i think the fellow who was like the driving force behind the revisions was uh marcus stumpter again australia and uh and they came up with a whole bunch of changes to make the strategic scenario make more sense i think or to at least make it like in line with all the other stuff that was going on in, in that project and um and yeah so now we have the new and improved version shall we say with pacific war where they, they streamlined a few things they changed the ground combat they, they 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 also made china make more sense i gathered that the operational stuff in china was a little out of whack and they had to apply some um house rules in order to make it work correctly but now those house rules are now officially part of the whole thing and so uh, this time around, the strategic scenario is much more well thought out, more tested, more robust. And so G at least the GMT version, playing the whole shebang, it'll still take you real-time years to finish the camp, the strategic scenario. Sure. But it's uh, it's now designed as such from the ground up. Um, yeah, and maybe with like the uh, internet and Vassal, it's much easier to play oh, test out some of this definitely. stuff. Right? Uh, the, the way the way I've heard Mark tell it, it's like, the strategic scenario for the VG version. He ran through the thing once, right. found a few clunkers, wrote some stuff for it, and called it a day. Yeah, right. <laughs> because like that's now, what all, right. that's all you can do. You have more resources. So besides the Pacific War stuff, are you? What else are you playing? All right. So right now I'm on a I'm on a interestingly enough an ancient Greece kick. So I'm doing the Pericles, uh, okay, the Peloponnesian War. Um, actually, we I had a chance to run this with um, uh, with Jonathan, Brian, and Brian. Rex bailed on us. Uh, I think he had a date night. Uh, hopefully, Rex, you scored big that night. Uh, otherwise, Jonathan's gonna come for your ass. Um, uh, <laughs> That's pretty. It's pretty classic, Rex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you think you can count on a gator in Florida, but you know, not all the time. Uh, but anyways, no, that that was pretty good. I was just trying to introduce the the game to, uh, to some of the guilds. Uh, it's interesting to me that when people see it, they think Euro. And it's like, oh, you have all these wooden bits running around. That can't possibly be a true war game. And, and like, this, is, this is off the Churchill model? Is this the Pericles, the Churchill version? Well, the only really commonality it has with Churchill is the debate mechanic. That was kind of like the starting off point for uh, mapping the political tension within each of the city-state factions. Mm -hmm. uh, but after that, it's really its own thing. It, I mean, at least the, the war mechanics have nothing really to do with Churchill. But yeah, the stuff where it's like, okay, I'm going to apply 
this card and that card and I get some bonuses and I'm going to move these uh, debate issues around. Yeah, that very much is um, very uh, in the model, in the Churchill style. But because it's not open-ended three-way where it's like, oh, play one card, then somebody else gets to play a card and then the third guy decides to chip in or not. No, this is like direct confrontation. You have aristocrats versus the demagogues. You have uh, the, the, the two... Uh, royal dynasties in Sparta duking it out, right? So this is a much more direct debate. It's like right. both both players play a card, bam, nominate an issue, move it, don't move it, it goes. So it, it's very different in that you rarely see an issue actually captured in uh, in Pericles versus that of Churchill. Well, for, for the most part, you're going to see Stalin just grab that atomic bad boy right? and, and, um, and, and score those points. Um, and also, I just find the whole four-player dynamic so self-correcting and balancing because, you know, there's this, first of all, there's the internal tension within the city-state where you're, you're trying to be, like, the top dog controlling the, 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 the like, say, the local uh, assembly. Right, and, and the idea is that two players, you have two Athenian and two Spartan players, and the idea yes, is you they're do. competing against each other and against like for the, the, the other city right state. yeah and the thing is right uh you first thing of it is that the city state needs to be above all else so you need to pull ahead in order to win and so if you spend way too much time sabotaging each other squabbling right, not you're, compromising right exactly. you're gonna have fewer issues and you're gonna do poorly in the theater and the other city state's just gonna kick your ass right so you gotta like Oh wait, no. We need to get our house in order because you know the, the Spartans are going to kick our ass. Or if right, you're, right, you don't you don't want to spend all the time beating on your rival, and meanwhile you guys are losing the war. Exactly, and then the, and then there's this opposite tendency where if you're ahead in the war and you got like a twenty point advantage, then you start sabotage. bickering. Time for you, sabotage. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> no, I want to be the top dog. I want to be the. I I want the glory. Ah, and so. So there's a lot of this. So this game absolutely shines best four player yeah that, that is the way to play this game um not that you can't play it in other ways over the years well it seems like like you could do two player three player seems like that'd be rough but oh yeah three player i mean i i let uh jonathan and brian have fun uh debating each other and, and then putting out some issues on the on the theater map while i simply ran the bot against myself uh, uh, uh but that, yeah, that and, is and, not and really two, way and two player would just be more like just it's the peloponnesian war it's basically just going to be sparta versus athens yeah and the, and i have seen some interesting variants though um so for example there is one where it's like wait a minute both of you control one faction from each city state right and um and depending on whether you're the controlling faction of one another you control either athens or sparta but yeah then it becomes more of the legion peloponnesian war where you're kind of like fighting against yourself sometimes uh so while the two player there are some two player variants that are interesting um yeah it's it, it's not really uh it's not really the best experience because you're you're still kind of doing this whole uh, right. quasi schizophrenic well, things. Like, you're oh, you're yeah. missing yeah, you're missing out on that tension between like 
uh, yeah, we want Athens to do well, but I also don't want Athens to do well under your leadership. I want it to do well under my leadership. Right, right, right. And so, so, and so, there are these two player variants where it's like, oh, I'll be uh, the demagogue faction and the Eurypontid kings, and then and the other guy will be the aristocrats and the Aegeas. Uh, but you know, it's still this. There's still this too many hats kind of thing going on, and right. it's. Um, it, 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 I mean, not that it's not entertaining to play, but again, to me, the absolute best Pericles experience is is four player. It's just designed that way, <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's how it works best. Uh, and it and and it is a fantastic game. Uh, the but way, not a, not a traditional war game. More Not, unusual. It's on that it's, Europe. It's like the polis boundary where we, or the coin games where we're starting to. Yes, I would say that. Yeah, I would say that it's more akin to the coin game. In fact, it even has like the discs are bases. Right, right, right. Well, <laughs> and I'm, the cubes are armies. So players, so. players will look at it and say, like, okay, that looks more like a a coin game it, it looks similar ish to coin except that you don't track any of that support stuff or whatever this is like strict pieces control stuff uh I mean, yeah bases. only in the components the components only, the, only the components wise right and but it's still i i find that the game even though this stuff is abstract with the wooden pieces and the fairly broad areas right because you know it's like i'm it's like i'm conducting the siege of uh, thermopylae no i mean you have just broad areas like boeotia and um, alicia and and um, and the isthmus and whatever uh but i but to me i think the mark the hallmark of a great game is that it's not that it gives you the everlasting detail like the last little airplane on the carrier or the last little hoplite on the on the battlefield it's like what is the narrative if is the narrative you're getting out of the game is it telling you something that is exciting it's it, it's historical does it make sense and if it right. does that's cool and for me um it, it, it's those little moments where i'm you know I'm I'm handling the bots on my own. Playing play actually playing it solitaire is a is a different kind of experience on its own. In no way is it preferable. I mean, it's, it's still four player. That's that's well, ticket. And, and Jason, Jason and I have talked about this before. I think that one of the the things about a game is the important one of the most important things I think about a game is sometimes when you're going to ask who am I in this game, like who am I being? Am I the army general? Am I the right. leader? Of the nation, am I the nation? Am I uh, a brigade commander? Like, and is the game giving me the types of decisions that, or am I just a player who's playing a country and a faction? And exactly. So I know, but then it's it's a game. But the, and then these games can reach these kind of moments where you have these special decisions you make, where you feel like, oh, that felt really fucking cool. Like, yeah, that, yeah. Felt, and, 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 that felt like I'm actually doing what I want to get from a game like this at this kind of scale. Yes, yes, yes. And 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 when it produces a narrative, it it has its own factor of coolness. So, right. so for example, I've already gone through one turn of the um, first campaign scenario, and uh, through my own uh, uh, machinations against the bots, um, I just the I continued in like a peaceful outlook, and then I ran right over uh, 
uh, Sparta's uh, Boeotian allies, I conducted this major defeat. And so according to the rules of the game is that when, when one side suffers a major defeat, they get the uh, war peace issue automatically set or issue because it's like you have to automatically debate that now. You don't get to like simply choose it or ignore it. And to me, the great thing is how this mechanic manages to produce convincing narrative in either scenario. So if you're at war and you just inflicted a major defeat on your enemy, they're like, oh, man, should we make peace? Right. And it's because you're throwing that uh, on the, automatically that issue on their side and they have to debate it. But let's say you're already at peace. And well, peace is a in Pericles is a very like um, elastic, nebulous term. You're always fighting, but peace just simply means that Sparta and Athens are not in direct confrontation. They're mostly fighting proxy wars, right, with their um, with either the Delian League or their Peloponnesian allies. Right. And so, in this case, what the heck does a major defeat mean? Oh, it means that in my case, it means that I, as Athens, I just completely rolled over one of Sparta's allies, and I just put the war issue on their tables like we should declare war on athens for this affront against our allies and so the same game mechanic works both ways and that's pretty awesome that's good yeah uh so let's see what else am i playing um let's see well on the less wargaming side i have this old little thing called uh legacy of you well sorry not old it's recent actually um but I found it charming because it's one of these legacy games that are resettable. It's not like a like pandemic. We were talking about that back, where a, a, a pandemic legacy game, you um, you know, you get the the whole you know, use a marker on the map, put stickers on it, destroy cards, whatever. Um, legacy of you is this game where. You're I, just trying I, to build I've, I've never been an advocate for legacy games, I have to say. I've always been the one that buys the temporary stickers I can just put on and take off. Something about I could never like you know how they deface they, well, a game. Oh uh, yeah, for me it's a weird thing. <laughs> I don't get that concept. Like I have Gloomhaven and I buy the Sinister Fish uh, stickers <laughs> for Gloomhaven. <laughs> well, you don't have to do any of that for legacy of you. Because um, whatever changes you do are not permanent. Instead, it's just like you have a bunch of deck of cards. And what happens is that as the game goes by and you read the book and you play each game that keeps altering the scenario and the conditions, you get to either like remove or add cards. And so you either go into your history pile or your current story pile. And those are the things that modify the current campaign, but it's completely resettable. So once you finish a campaign, which either seven victories or seven defeats, whichever comes first, you can still reset um, the game to the very beginning and you're none worse for the wear. So there's no permanent like uh, modifications to the game. It's a resettable campaign game. And it's all about you being this, ha, you, there you go. Why you, you. <laughs> I tried to look <laughs> that, it that's up. The name of the yeah, that's yeah. the name of the protagonist. He's supposed to be this master architect of, I don't know, which imperial dynasty of China. And he's supposed to be the super expert on building canals because he's trying to get ahead of the all the, the Yellow River floods. And the idea is that you play this season over season where he's either successful or not in preventing the floods. But it's not just the floods. There are freaking barbarians that are attacking you. And you have to deal with the barbarians. You have to deal with floods. 
um it yeah it, it is euroy and uh but but i found it to be a lot of fun especially reading all the entries they're super creative entries it's like oh there's this bad barbarian and, he, and, and, and you strike him down and then when you turn the flip uh oh there's a number here i have to go read the storybook that oh no you didn't really kill him you just made him mad oh fuck <laughs> 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 there's a lot of oh shit moments yeah. that are just hilarious i mean they screw you over but it's like that's part of the fun it's I compare this a little bit to Space Alert. It's like half the fun oh, is sure, all yeah. the screwage Everything that's going apart. on. Right. Everything falls apart. And they just like be zen about it. And yeah, yeah, you know what? You're going to screw up. The game is going to screw you over. You need to be zen about it, especially because they tend to be silly about it or funny about it. And, and, and it's entertaining. So if you go with this mindset, it'll be fine. And, and I've had great fun with it. Um, I'm almost done with one of the campaigns. Um, it's uh, it's one of the few like outside of the box games that I've that I've gotten into, and um, I, I've seen this on the shelves, and I didn't realize it was a solo only game. Um, oh, Legacy of You, yeah, it is yeah. solo only, uh, and it is a sort of like build as a resettable yeah. campaign game kind of deal. So it's supposed to be, yeah, because depending on if you do well, then they'll throw more challenges at you in the next games, adding more difficult cards for you if you lose then they'll throw you a bone and give you like bonuses and buffs to like make it easier in the next game and that's how it works the um i liked hadrian's wall from the same company and it looks like probably the same artist. yeah same 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 kind of deal okay. except that yeah. hadrian's wall is kind of that right on on, right right on right, right on yeah. Uh, yeah no legacy of you is pure cards you don't write on anything Hmm. Yeah, I might check that out. I do. Sounds up it. my alley. Yeah, kind of uh, conflict adjacent, but kind of Euro-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I dig it. And so and it, only. And it's legacy of you. Why you? Why you? Exactly. Yeah. Why you? Yeah, let's Why go. you? Because you're the architect. <laughs> That's right. Interesting. The cover art's dope. All right, Jason. What about you? What do you got going on? I've been playing nothing. I like I said. I set up Border Reavers. Um, and kind of put it away. I, I, I've been picking up, um, I'm expecting work travel to pick back up, uh, soon. So I've been picking up like small solo games. Um, but even those I haven't gotten a chance to, to play up. Well, my, my oldest is starting to get back into gaming. So it's been nice because I've been turning over stuff to her. Like, I don't know what, here's twilight Imperium four. Why don't you figure out how to play and then we'll play the game. <laughs> So oh, that's like, a dream. She's doing oh, the, man. Like, that's what we did for a Race for the Galaxy. I'm like, here's the rules. Go tell me how to play, and we'll go play it when you get back. Fine. And that's such a – there's so much depth in, like, Race for the Galaxy, Galaxy specifically. Oh, you could play God, that game yes. forever. And if she's willing to play I that – I played it a oh, ton in Mexico. Well, well we, we played it with, obviously, the base. And then yeah, and that's, added and, the yeah, that's plenty. The base is plenty, but – and and, and – and Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, while the base is fun, the problem with the base game only is that the whole production consumption cycle strategy sure. tends to dominate. Yeah. So by introducing with Rebel versus Imperium, it definitely buffs up the military game. Because the way I find the learning curve in this game is that people will first gravitate towards the military strategy because it's like the easiest 
combo to mm-hmm. kind of like activate. You know, I've got more do. military than this planet, so I can take it away. Exactly. It's very easy to understand. It's straightforward. You do it and bam. But once people start dominating the production consumption engine, that is the thing that completely like uh, dominates the whole thing. And it's like the best thing to do in the base game. Yeah, I like I like the Rebel Imperium thing where it's kind of like, okay, so you want to do that, huh? Okay, well now you're you're putting yourself in jeopardy. Yep. Because now other people can target you based on you've now decided to dip your toe into this ongoing warfare. Like you can you can either stay out of it or you can benefit from it and then put yourself at risk. I, yep. I like that kind of. Decision. Oh, I remember one game where we kept this ante up like you say you either get into it or you get out of it and there was this basic there was this competition it's like we keep like one upping the other okay i increase you increase i increase you increase and then there's this tip over point and somebody just completely dominates the other one takes over wham 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 and then it, it just rolls downhill while everybody else is trying to hurry to finish their tableau before the you know before the dust settles and the right. points need to be tallied. Yeah, no, it's a good. I, I think it's really well done. I've always enjoyed it. So, so yeah, so that is it for the games. Uh, so I, I would like to talk a little bit about Gathering Storm. Yeah, if anyone's yeah. interested. Yeah, go ahead. And this we, is we need just some, from we need some depth. We we've been surface. Let's let's so so stick this in. is from the sure. pers- so I'm playing Russia in Gathering Storm. So uh, the idea is when you when you play the game, uh, you're going to draw a, first a random event card, and the random event card there's a ton of random there's I think there's 144 random event cards for Gathering Storm. So, and it's seasons. So you do, I think it starts in 1935. I want to say spring 1935, the game starts. That's correct. So the, the idea is that the, the game will kind of run you quickly, relatively quickly through the buildup. And then at some point, some event will occur that will then trigger World War II. And then the players can convert the game state of Gathering Storm to a world at war. So, yep. All your counters in, in Gathering Storm will then become convert over into things that your your research, all that. So so even military units. Right. So so the interesting thing for the Russians is uh so the first thing that happens is uh they're gonna pull a card. And that the the, the first thing the general card random card does is at the top it says uh has a, a basically a general situation for everyone. And the, usually it's about economic trends. Like economies are going to do really well. Economies are going to do badly. Who knows? Is it weather-based, whatever, uh, crops? Who knows what happens? So regular economies, if the economy is doing well, will improve. They'll make more money. So you're going to get a certain amount of income each turn. If economies go badly, you'll make less money. So... Uh, if you're a Western power, you obviously would like it to be good. The problem is when things are good for you, they're also good for other countries. So if things are good for England based on the economy booming, they're probably going to be good for Germany also. The Soviets are different They because they have a managed state economy. So, so they're not impacted at all by the 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 ups and downs of the the european market 
so so when things go badly the soviets are happy because they aren't impacted by that but when things go well and, and everything's fruitful the soviets look there with like greedy little jealous eyes across their their eastern borders um so that's one of the first things that's different about being soviets the other interesting thing about the game that i really liked was there's something called support level and so support level is kind of a deal where uh it, it measures how willing your people are to back what you want to do aggressively or with actions activities and so if you have low support levels um you can't do a lot of things like i don't know try to seize czechoslovakia or like if if people are really worried in germany about uh what france and england are doing germany will start to build higher support levels and that gives germany kind of a little bit more of a free leash to do things like well now we're gonna we're gonna do the rhineland we're gonna take over the rhineland now we're gonna try to uh uh take over part of czechoslovakia you know so it kind of gives this cool feeling where it puts you like as the Soviet player, you feel like you're Stalin. Because when you take over the Soviet Union in 1935, things are not great in the Soviet <laughs> Union. To put it mildly. So your support starts out at minus one. Every other country, in the, there's, there's four. I think it's Italy, Germany, uh, England, Great Britain, and uh, France. Those are the countries that are played. Uh, that's what um, I remember. They all have zero support. Soviet Union starts out at minus one support. So already people are kind of shaky with the job Stalin's doing. <laughs> so Stalin's problem is uh, his cohesion, the cohesion of the Soviet Union is bad. So it's minus one support because there's low cohesion. Because you basically inherited this revolutionary country and no one trusts each other. There's been a lot of betrayals. So th the best way to start getting a grip on your country, Jason, if you're Stalin, it's 1935 and you don't know who you can trust. What do you think you would doing? Like what, what would you do to try to maybe get a firm handle on what's going on in your country? Uh, you start shooting people ahead, right? If you, you start purging people, hundred <laughs> percent. You know, and this is this is part of the game. So there's so there good. is a purge level in this game. So every turn, the Soviets the are purging. This will continue until morale improves. Mm -hmm. Downside of purging is there's after effects. So if you do a military purge, you might uh, have to eliminate a unit that you did like kill off a new or if you do a if you say we're going to purge our diplomatic core well maybe you can't do diplomatic actions or whatever that term but every purge you get counts towards a purge so once you reach 10 purges then you're suddenly you, your state becomes a little more cohesive so now you're not suffering that minus one you might be at a zero percent. Yeah, yeah. You whipped everyone in line, baby. Yeah, the people are like, okay, this guy's got a good handle on what's going on. Like he knows what's going on. Then if you do 20 purges, and each purge card is worth a different number of purge points, probably based on how bad they are for whatever else you're trying to do. So it's it's this whole uh struggle between I want to build the Soviets into like a force that's actually going to be good at fighting when World War II starts, but I really need to purge a lot of shit like <laughs> i can't trust these motherfuckers like 
I love that the Red Army is trying to build all these tanks, but can I trust the guys that are building the Red <laughs> <Sure>. Army tanks? <laughs> so, so basically, as so, Soviet Union has these four levels of cohesion, which is like low, medium, high, and then fully co full cohesion, something like that. I'm gonna, and I'm just playing loose with it, but that's how it works. Um, so, when I'm at beginning cohesion and shit is fucked up, I'm at a minus one. So. When I'm at middle and I start purging, I've done maybe 10 purges, then I'm at zero. So now the people are like, okay, this guy, he maybe he is our leader. Then when I get to mid-level, I'm plus one, then plus two. So now they start actually supporting what I'm trying to do, and they back my activities. Where before, I can't do things because I don't have the support from the people. So uh, you, like I said, I give the example, Germany uh, seizing Czechoslovakia. Hitler could not have seized Czechoslovakia if that decision was very unpopular with the German people. And it, even though he is a fascist, you know, he he had to respond to the desires of the military, uh, the, 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 the German elites, the German industrialists, the German population. So you have to, to build a level of support before you can make do something like that. Um, and so some of these random cards, when I mentioned there's a general random card, each nation also draws a card that it keeps for itself. And so each card has a slot. The first top is what's happening generally. Then for each nation, Italy, Russia, blah, 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 it, it, if they pull that card as a national card, it tells them what will happen on that card. So something might be like uh, French king pees on German relic. Germans plus two support. So the Germans get really pissed about that. So now they're like, if you want to do something to France, we're fine because now we're mad. So that <laughs> those cards will give you extra support in case you want to do something. So the French player might be like, German support's very low, so I don't think they're going to do anything. But he doesn't realize that they actually have this card in their hand that they're going to play where they're going to actually like do some kind of military action. So back to the Soviets. So that's my support. Um you have you have a you have a bunch of different factories in your country. Normal countries uh, have idle factories that they can convert to either civilian or military factories. So a civilian factory makes like Twinkies, uh, bread, uh, maybe special tea stuff that the Twinkie people like. Factor. Yeah, it makes money and it makes money, right? So you've got a certain number of civilian factories. They create income for you. Um, military factories, what they do is they create, they basically provide support for your military by building, making ammunition, stuff like that. And as you build more military factories, you can then mobilize and create more units. The problem with the Soviets is, and so the, the Western powers have this cool little mechanism where they say, oh, we've got these idle factories. So if I spend a certain amount of money, I can convert one of my idle factories that's not doing anything to a civilian factory, maybe. It's the whole uh, butter versus guns, right? So, uh, and maybe I can increase my income, or maybe I want to convert this idle factory to a military factory and that will then allow uh, my, my military to get bigger and the, the soviets don't have that choice they cannot build more civilian factories their their five-year plan does not give a fuck about how much how many twinkies or how many luxuries <laughs> the people have <laughs> the only thing you can do Luxury. with them is mobilize you can build more military Damn. factories 
So the other problem the Soviets have is they have a, a very large active army, military, uh, much larger than the other uh, nations. And that would be cool, right? Because you're about to fight a war. The problem is that um, your military costs you money to maintain. So uh, like typically, it, like with, with my first turn, I think I want to say I made like, I think I made $10 income, which of course they never fucking call money or anything in the game. So annoying. They call them income tiles or like tile, tile factors. And I if remember they, that. If they just called them fucking uh, a world at war, we call them a wow dollars, a world at war dollars. <laughs> like just call them something so we know what the fuck they are. <laughs> they never do it. So like for me, my country would make $10 and then I would have to pay 11 because I have more units than I can afford based on my factories. And so like you get into the cycle where you're, you're losing money almost because you, you have to maintain this giant military, partly just to keep your, your population in line. So, so yeah, it's a, it's like being the Soviets has been interesting. So uh, it, you, because a lot of times you want to be like a good Soviet where you're like, oh, I'm not going to purge people or I don't want to be bad. I'm going to try to see if I can be kind, <laughs> kinder. Like, I'm not going to so purge the military because I know those guys are good guys. And some of them are really good cavalry commanders. And No, the problem is Stalin could not fucking trust them. Like, if a commander was really good, Stalin would be like, yeah, man, I mean, he's good, but like. I'd rather have somebody that I trust who's not as good. <laughs> like you know, so so it does it does put you in that position uh, as the Soviet player. So I thought I just thought it was kind of a neat uh, aspect. And I, I like the other countries operate very differently, like Italy, uh, Germany. Uh, but but the thing that also happens with their their picks is they can do things that will increase their support. Or like by developing things or doing research but some things that they do like i think there's a rule that if the germans decide that they're going to like do more shipbuilding then suddenly that spurs support for for in great britain and france or at least great britain i think great britain's people their population then is like what the fuck it's just are trying to build another battleship and then they support more of what great britain's trying to do yeah so that makes sense it's, it's this it's this very cool idea of um, you can do things in a in but in they a don't happen aspect. in a vacuum, right? Yeah, and that that's what I'm trying to say. Like, um, I can send troops into Czechoslovakia if I want to, or as the Brits, I can do other things. Like maybe I can take over some troops in Norway, but I can only do it if my people are willing to support what I'm doing, and that's where the support levels come in, um, because. If, if I have, if the climate's not been created where they're willing to support that, I, I'm not able to do it. So not only does it cost money, it requires me to have a certain reservoir of political will of my people. And the, and the cards are like, I'll show you just, I'll read off the last one we saw. Let's see. This is the last one we had. Let's see what it is. So, uh, oh yeah, this one is... Uh, this one was more of a diplomatic one, but it says Yugoslav Greek rivalry over Macedonia axis must support one side Russians or allies, the other, and then it increase, creates the tension level. Um, 
some of them will be like fungus discovered in Italian grape industry. It, Italy loses two economic points or two points of fun. <laughs> yeah, just, Fuck, man. Yeah, it's, so it's a, it's cool. So that's it. I just figured I'd throw that out there. I think the Soviet thing is very interesting the way it works. Um, I like that it's different and it requires you to do different things. Um, but so far it's, but again, the rules have been an obstacle for us, but, but we're, we just refuse to give up. So it's commendable. Yep. We do curse them. You do you. Bit. So. I like it. Francisco, do you have a review for us? Oh, I, I could review tons of stuff. Um, you can't review me, Empire of the Sun. No, I wouldn't want to do that. I mean, I mean, anything, I would like anything to. New? Anything new? But uh, I, I, I would like to. But I mean, you guys. I mean, I, I feel like there's a review of Empire of the Sun on the podcast, like every two months or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic. Indeed, it is. Well, you did a pretty good Pericles. So, oh, oh well, thanks, thanks, thanks about that. Uh, actually, I think the last war game I really went like a deep dive into, and this was like during the pandemic, just before everything went to pot. Uh, I did a, I did Normandy forty four, and uh, I played that campaign. I soloed that though, but still, um, I find Mark Simonich's uh, operational series uh very shall we say it reminds me of a lot of the old school gaming but at the same time he puts his own like twists and factors into it um the, it's the whole zakban thing it's funny because everybody calls it oh yeah the zakban games right yeah and um but here's the thing for me though because even though these rules on these games are different games uh are fairly similar scale changes, geography changes. And I think that makes Normandy 44 almost like its own game because you have the whole Bakash. And dealing with that is like its own thing because unlike the like Ukraine 43 or the opening stages of Art 44 where you're just doing this breakout and you're doing maneuver and enveloping and so on and so forth, Normandy 44 is just a slog. And now, now, do they do like an invasion portion too, or is it kind of like yes, you start out yes. on the beach? No, 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 no. You do an invasion portion because the way Simonich designed it's like, okay, we do the first turn. You always have these. The special turn one. Right. Uh, I wish I had a name for that. It should be on TV tropes. Um, right, right. Uh, and the idea there is that you're going to find out how well or how bad your uh, – your beaches went right because you have uh, each beach, you know, Juno, Sword, uh, Omaha, and all this fun. And uh, basically, Omaha can be explained by rolling poorly, <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, so, so, so you get so once you get there on the shore, that will now, be now, your do, do, point. Do, do players have like? Uh, can you reassign units to different beaches, or you basically are just going in with the the landings as they were? No, no, no. You do go with the stuff as they were because remember you had the American sector, you had the Canadians, right. you had the British just, sector, and all that. I, I just, I just wonder if for Normandy games, if like the one of the things I, I, I believe, uh, I, I guess my question would be if they're if they're going to make you do the same, isn't it easier just to like 
give you a card you can pull that will show you what your guys look like at the end of it. Otherwise, it's just a dice rolling exercise, right? Well, it does feel that way for the first part, but that's because you're, you're the only fixed units are the ones that are actually at the beaches because you have a whole ton of stuff in England and you can decide so you where can those guys reinforce. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it's like you don't have to keep 19th Corps exactly yeah. the same. You could just throw in a different armor division at it or you can throw in like you could decide to go armor heavy on the middle or armor heavy towards Sherberg or, you know, the only real thing is like, okay, the American HQs will handle the American units. The British HQs will handle the British units. So that's the only real that is the only thing, real thing that is kind of like set in stone because you have this whole rule about the American and British command sectors, right? So yeah, the, the, in those areas, you know, they're going to focus on Khan. They're going to go against all those Panzer divisions, and you have the Canadians and these guys. But you get to like choose like the order in which you ship these guys to the beaches. It's like, am I going to go armor intensive first, or let me just ship in a bunch of infantry first? Okay. And, and the Americans get to shift their whole order of battle around. Yes, yes, the 29th is going to be there exactly where it was. So was the first because there will be like the opening moves. But who you decide to put, put like ship in later into the beach to do the follow up. You can change that whole thing because uh, the different you have like different core commands, but they're not historically tied. So the only important thing is to keep the divisions together because uh, that is the way it, it works in Normandy 44. In that, like, if you want to maximize the firepower uh, between the different brigades, uh, the primary force, the divisional force, that's those are the ones that get to like concentrate sort of ish for free, and then you're kind of like. Yeah, you can have a different division support you, but they can only commit like a limited amount of force. So it is important to keep the divisions together. So the divisions can kind of combine their combat factors in the same combats. Right. And, and it is a brigade level game, but they all have the divisional patches. And right. so it's like, okay, who's the main division doing the attack? Okay, so that's why you keep all these guys together because if you have the whole, and that's the thing, because if you start involving too many units, then you start getting penalties. I, uh, I so have to confess, I, I've never like played that. any of these games, just just because I'm a contrarian. These things are fun. I know, I'm sure they are. I just never bought one. I've never played one. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think they're bad. I think I've heard a lot of great things about them. But... Yeah, no, I totally get that. I, I think I feel the same way about A World at War. Um... Oh. <laughs> Oh, I, I understand. <laughs> I mean, talk about a game that people bounce off of. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and um, and truly, I, I think in Normandy forty four, the Zockbon deal is what makes him fit because, and actually, in a way, I think in in a few ways, I think this game plays a little bit better solitaire than it does competitive. Because really, the Germans are kind of fucked. Yeah, um, I've I've wondered about that. I've yeah. I, I've only played like a handful of turns of it. I, you know, going back to Liberty Roads, like like Dave was talking about, like that's always kind of the the highlight for me for a, a D Day game is is getting to yeah, choose it's, where it's where you the, land in Normandy Forty Four. It's the one game that makes it feel like the landing's the best part. Yeah, 
The all yeah. the other and, ones, it feels like the landing is already like you're like, why am I even doing this? Can we just be on the shore? Let's just start on. The can shore. we just start? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it is, it is true, and that's now no different from Normandy Forty Four because, um, really, the landings are just an exercise in what is your starting situation. Right? Did you right. get a bloody Omaha or did you get a great Omaha? Yeah. A Juno or a shitty Juno? Uh, you don't, you don't have really control over that. It's just like a way to set up your 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 premise, your your starting point. But after that. You do get to decide, okay, which units am I going to start shipping in? Am I going to focus more heavily on these sectors or these other? This this part went to pot. Right. I better focus here. And you do have the airborne, and you do, and, and at some yeah, point you yeah. do need to like uh, pick those guys up because they're worth victory points. It's like you can't let them be destroyed uh, piecemeal or or wrecked. So Francisco, let me ask you, like for the Zokban, do all units have? And again, I don't know the rules, but do like so when you're you're locked when you're in a Zokban. But do all units have Zoks, or do some units no. are they small enough that they don't have Zoks? No, there are there are uh, there are units small enough. That they do not get Zoc, and they are uh, helpfully marked by a white thin border. Um, And mostly it's like the really small, like destroyer stuff, whatever. Generally speaking, all of the infantry stuff will have Zocbon, all of the big, like, um, uh, uh, combat commands and and panzer brigades and stuff like that will then deal with But it's really like, the tank destroyers, the flak guns, the, you know, the 88s sure. and all that fun jazz. Those are the things that are like, so no, they they don't have little, that's a little bugs. white line that goes around the counter. The white line that goes around them. It's like a, it's like a, a, a rounded rectangle yeah, deal. Like, yep. 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 And so, uh, and of course, uh, one of the big, the, the one, I feel like with the Germans, you're really just like there's an, this inevitability that's going to come around, and your victory is going to depend on did I inflict enough losses on these guys that the, 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 the British and Americans will be like, oh my god, this is just too much blood. Did the free France fuck the frogs? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of deal. Um, but I did have fun with it because I, I got to say, especially during the beginning turns where things were in flux. Uh, I remember just throwing the 21st Panzer Division. It's like, push these fuckers into the sea. <laughs> right. And I very nearly managed it. Um, so there, it's not that it's impossible. It is actually possible. So it's not like an inevitable, like, your resistance is futile kind of thing. Um, but you do have a very narrow window where if you can just put in the panzer divisions, maneuver them in place, and um, and get a few breaks, uh, which is what Rommel was hoping for. It was like, put these guys on the beaches. That's when I can stop them. You know, And um, if you get to do that, you do have some chances to really hurt the allies and, and possibly even collapse a beachhead or two. Um, it's not going to be a common occurrence, but it can be a fun thing if it does happen. So... Uh, and if you play with the, uh, well, this is where we have to mention Roger and the CCRI magazine. Uh, I know some, so I know, I know that there are some people who have mixed feelings about it, but um, uh, there was this, uh, what do we call those now? Alternative history novels, uh, 
disaster at D-Day, I think it was called. And um, the novel was popular enough that someone got inspired and did like an expansion <laughs> module to Normandy 44, I, I where you can this. add in like the extra units and you can add like extra stuff. The, the whole premise is like, yeah, no, Rommel did not get um, knocked out. And he was actually there commanding on the day and he got his like his way and he was able to have his reinforcements closer but at the same time uh, eisenhower committed his strategic reserves now you get to use the polish air brigade and you get to use a whole bunch of extra divisions and so now it's, it's like everything's amped yeah, it's up like a 11. juiced up version of normandy nice yes and that one is like chaotic and way more fun <laughs> because the germans can do way more damage because a lot of divisions that like are like on the reinforcement chart and they come in many turns later now they come in way fucking earlier and they cause a lot of pain oh that's, that's interesting yeah so that scenario is a, so if you really want your like alternative history rommel's in charge and and give the Germans like a real fighting chance to completely fuck up the Normandy invasion. Uh, that variant is is going to be your your ticket. Uh, if you're more into the whole, oh, let's just go through the history kind of deal. I want to, I, I want to really see the Normandy narrative historically and with its variations and fun stuff. Yeah, the original, the original is definitely entertaining. And the Germans really do need those Zoc bonds because you know holding the line is can be very hard and often you're like what the heck unit can i just conjure to plug it in this gap <laughs> that's often what you're doing uh with the germans because they're going to lose the attritional game in the uh in the standard game when you go all the way to, to, to the end um and and the game is fairly traditional in like yeah I have these strength points you have attack you have defense uh, you have these odds you roll on things where Simonich starts mixing it up is with you know the whole divisional concept where you can only combine units from the same division together to the attack and at most one other division can support you uh, and then there's the whole terrain and whether you have an armored vehicle or not. And that's where all these little values in the middle where, wait a minute, do you have armored vehicles? Oh, okay, but what color are they? Is it like an offensive thing? Is it like a defensive thing? And then you start piling up the right. DRMs. And that's when you start like maneuvering and like, oh, I don't want to fight in the Balkage with these tanks. They're going to be useless. Oh, wait, wait a minute. There's a, there's, a, there's a nice little road here and I have some terrain that I can use. And that's where my tanks will perform best. And so you start trying to maneuver the divisions into the places where they will be most effective. Uh, so uh, I do like the fact that the, the geography was complex enough that you had to think a little bit on who's going to be the best, what kind of troops, what kind of units you want to put in here that will really help you. And man, the Bokash is such a limitation that you're fighting really does revolve around the roads and the towns at these strong points and you can see how like okay so that's why these guys were fighting here that's why they were fighting there so in terms of the modeling and the impact of the terrain and the roads and the marsh and, and the bocage I mean, it's very very spot on yeah it looks good and this is not this is out of print no no it's uh it's, it's, available? In, it's in print it's available 
In fact, uh, I think GMT has a, uh, you know, they've gone on this whole um, mounted board uh, sort of kick. And uh, the original Normandy was this paper map. And I find that fine. I have my own plexiglass for it. Uh, but I think they even recently, there's a second edition. It's in print. And they've also issued separately, like they did this whole mounted map kind of deal for it, which I don't, I don't think it really needs it. Um, but you know, people are a fan of that, and uh, well, some are, some aren't. Well, it says Normandy forty four third printing out of stock. Really? Already? Oh, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm out of. I'm uh, I'm out of. Uh, I, I must. I must be thinking about my pandemic days. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was just going to say in the fine tradition of AAC, we're, we're again reviewing a game that uh, you can't buy. <laughs> it's Ouch. out of print. Yeah, uh, it feels like they the, just reprinted it recently. That's crazy. Uh, I trust that there will be a fourth printing. I mean, the way I see it, a game is either going to be like first edition out of print, maybe at most second. But if it's already on the third or fourth printing, yeah, gonna that sucker's going to, they're going to, they're going to keep printing that sucker. Yeah. Uh, it is Normandy, right? It, so yeah, like, of course. So it, it's weird. I could, maybe I just checked it last year and it was still in stock, but um, yeah, it's out of stock. Damn. Well, I don't know. Maybe cool stuff. will have a few copies around. I don't know. Oh yeah. Now we'll get somewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I, I don't feel like the game is going to be out of stock for long. It's, it's, um, yeah, once you get to third and fourth printings, I mean, I mean, Twilight Struggle, what printing is that thing on at this point? <laughs> yeah, but we're talking about war games here, dude. True, <laughs> true, true, true. I, I, I was merely talking about the, Supply and demand forces. Shit, I'm economics. looking. I'm looking at some of these out of stock. Like Talon is third printing out of stock. Wow. But Shit. that means it. Yeah, but like I said, uh, so Sekigahara fifth printing. Right. Yeah. Also out of stock. No, it's shipping February twenty one. So it was that out means. of stock. <laughs> February twenty one. What the fuck? No, that doesn't make sense. Twenty one yeah, was like Mitch. You need to fucking get on this shit. <laughs> And there are copies on BGG of Normandy 44 for decent yeah. prices, like 50 yeah. to 70. Yeah, it's not like this is, it's not like you're trying to acquire uh, Dragon Realm or somewhere. Well yeah, well, yeah, like you said, because we know they're getting reprinted, they're not getting, they're not going to be, the market's not going to drive up on them. You know, it's like when they, only when they think that they're going yeah, like, to yeah. never be printed again, they're the Case Blue factors or. Yeah, this is definitely not a case blue fact. I, I always love the guys who sell when I know if a reprint just came out and then they're like, oh, I'm selling this version. I'm like, fuck off, dude. You've been holding that fucking version for how long? And now, right. like, well, suddenly I'm going to need a this, deal on this. Yeah, I'll make this available for anyone who wants it. It's like fucking dick. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, I got to say, that's probably going to be it for me. Uh, I don't All know, right. uh, Francisco. You want anything let, else let, you want to wrap let, up with? Let's, let's give it. Let's give it a rating and a beers, and then we can. Oh yeah, let's do that. Oh goodness, ratings and beer. So what we're talking about Normandy Forty Four? Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. So wait, what is this? One to ten. One to ten. Um, one to ten. ten. One to ten on this game. Um, I'm one to give this an eight. Huh? On the gaming scale, because I acknowledge that some people are going to feel screwed over playing the Germans. So, 
Yeah, that's true. It's kind of not so so so, so I can't give it much higher than that. So beers, um, it depends on what kind of chaos you want. Now this is going to be like a mid beer. You, you can enjoy a couple, but don't go overboard because it's definitely not beer and pretzels. And you're going to start screwing over the rules, and then you're going to start like traveling your units over Brokajan rivers, and you're not supposed to. So you have to pay attention. So you can enjoy a couple, but don't go overboard. So how many beers is that? Like what, four or five? Yeah, that's, that's where I'm putting. It's like it's easy to play, but yeah, there are some little rules that if you don't catch it especially the stupid second advanced thing i, I kind of hate that it's like <laughs> oh you're in and you're going to do advanced second hex but wait if it's bakash then you can only do that if you're doing a longer road who comes up with that <laughs> yeah little stuff like that always trips me up yeah that, those are the things you got to watch out for very good uh jason you have anything else you'd like to add I'm good. Francisco, anything else you'd like to throw in? Anything else I'd like to throw in? Uh, only that if I'm ever invited again, I can do Freedom in the Galaxy as a review for you. Oh, there you go. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got nothing. Sorry, boys. I Excellent. think it was good. We did a good job. Excellent. I thought so, too. Let's call it, it Fun times. Thank you for having me. All right. All right. All right. Have a good night, then. All right. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Visit us at http colon slash slash boardgamegeek.com slash build slash one six six zero or contact us at advance after combat at gmail.com. Pouring salt in my sugar won't make yours any sweeter. Visit in my yard ain't gonna make yours any greener. And I wouldn't know about the rocks in your shoes. So I'll just do me. Honey, you can just do you